The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage. Yeah, man. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. We've got producer Justin over on the side here. No microphone, but I understand he celebrated a birthday mm. recently. I think that's what, 15, 16 now you are? No. Mm. <laughs> got the thumbs up, so he definitely did have a birthday. We um, we don't have Tom Schreier. I thought he was going to be here, so I don't know what happened to the podfather. Now, before we get to today's very special guest, again, thank you so much for your reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen, if you give us reviews, it gives us legitimacy, moves us up the charts, just makes us look more legit. Maybe even can kind of fool some people with uh, looking a little more professional than we are. But give us a review on whatever platform, so Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you are. Five stars if you like the show. If you don't, the DMs are open. Slide in there and let me know what we can do differently. But we can't do the show without you, so thank you for your support. Now, today's very special guest is in studio. You may remember him from one of or the other of two stints with the Minnesota Twins, Former Twins outfielder Darren Mastriani. Man, how are you today? Good, how you doing? Hey, real good. And we we were laughing about it outside before we came into the studio, before Justin came to get us, but you willingly live here. I mean, you grew up in New York. You played baseball in, I don't know where Winthrop is. I can't remember. Is that South, South Carolina. South Carolina. Go to Indiana, and then you're here. I mean, you played in Toronto. You played Minnesota. You played minor league ball all over. But you have a good reason for living in Minnesota. You married a Minnesota girl, which, right. nicely done. We, we do... <laughs> things very well in that respect. But, um, man, do you sometimes just think, I don't need this? Well, yeah. When I was out there last night at 9 o'clock after I put my daughter to bed shoveling <laughs> oh, no. and uh, knowing that I was going to have to get up and do it again this morning, yeah, it was, it's tough. But, it, you know, there's so many great things about this state mm-hmm. all year-round, and a little bit of shoveling doesn't doesn't take away from all the other fun stuff we get to do that you don't get to experience anywhere else. So so you're fully versed, though, in using a snowblower, I suspect? Because I, yeah. I'm not. I, yeah. I have one, but— we just get out and shovel real fast because it had, like, stuff plugged up in the uh, spark plug. Mm-hmm. And so my father-in-law is working on it. That's who we got it from because when my, my wife's grandpa passed away, we inherited it. But I just have not mastered that. So I'm, like, shovel only. <laughs> uh, have you have you graduated to I snowblower? Did. I had the snowblower, and I used it for a couple winters. And, and they're great, and I love them. Yeah. Uh, I got a real steep driveway, so it's mm. kind of a pain in the butt. And, I, I kind of like shoveling, It's especially when it's kind of that quiet and the snow is kind of either still mm. trickling or finished up, and it's just kind of nice the serenity. to get out there. Yeah, like yeah. a little bit of serenity, just a little peace and quiet. Well, and you got to stay in shape, so, I mean, that's an, it's a workout. It's a grind. Yeah, it's, it definitely is. All the same. So you guys are in the West Metro, and mm-hmm. what's keeping you guys busy these days? Now, I, I did see that you did some woodworking for a while, and your wife has or had a shop. Mm-hmm. What, what keeps you and your wife, uh, Bridget? Bridget, right? yeah, you What got keeps it. you guys busy nowadays? We have a oh, three-and-a-half-year-old little girl named Sloan. Who, <laughs> I got uh, to meet Sloan at Twins yep. Fest, by the way. That she, was, she, she always comes. She loves it. And it was good that I, I don't go to Twins Fest as, for as many events as I used ah. to because she gets about an hour in and then she gets a little antsy, but she loves coming. She loves meeting the players and yeah. being in the clubhouse and – and just being around all that, and she thinks it's kind of she can't understand quite why everyone why I everybody's sit there. there to see her probably right? <laughs> exactly. No there one no one cares who I am when she comes around, but she she takes up a lot of our time, which is great. She's very active and happy, and and we do a lot of different things together. And she loves she loves the winter, so we've been out skating and nice. and sledding whenever we can. So 
she she's definitely taking up a whole bunch of time right now. So was mom an athlete? Do you have an athlete on your hands in Sloan? I know you guys have another one on the yeah, way too. And got so a little boy coming, another in baby Mastro. But uh, you got an athlete, you got a singer, you got a dancer. What do you have? So my wife was a diver, which I always uh, I always kind of joke with her that it was always seemed more like gravity to me than uh, than actual sports, like a really but, slow change up, right? Yeah, like it just you just jump and fall. But yeah. uh, she made me watch some of her old diving videos and just some other stuff in the Olympics a couple of years, and it was like, all right, this is a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Sloan. She right now is a big dancer. She loves to mm-hmm. dance and sing. I've taken her to some gymnastics and no, just want to run around in the circle. So we'll yeah. see we'll see what she does. But she definitely has some athleticism in her genes. So young at heart, though, and that's that's good. Obviously, she still likes to play. We took my daughter to a hockey game this last weekend, and she was dancing to the music <laughs> because. Uh, my wife's best friend has two kids that play like 10U and 12U. So it's, you know, she's like, mom, more hockey. So <laughs> we're, we're learning that hockey might be in our future. And, you know, I, I didn't play hockey. I, I can't skate. A guy my size probably break the ice. <laughs> but it's uh, it's a Minnesota rite of, of passage in the winter for hockey. And so that, she might do that, but she likes to dance as well. So um, I, I joke, though, Mastriani on the back of a little kid's jersey. <laughs> and, and so your wife was filling me in that they actually had to go with Mastro for the first one, didn't they? Or shorten yeah. it? And uh, they also said, you know, what's her name going to be? And you're like, well, we might change our minds. So we went to with Mastro instead. But Mastriani, she, she's into a jersey now that it fits. Right. But that had to be uh, maybe a two or three year old, like a two T or three T rather than yeah. the, the one year old jersey. And when we got when we got it for her, she was uh, not even one yet. So and the only way they could fit Mastriani on the jersey was to get her a two, two T, yeah. three T. And so she's barely squeezing into it now. She's a little bit. <laughs> Bigger than that, but we finally were able to get it on her after two years. So that's good. So you're in Minnesota now. You are from New York. Played in, you said, South Carolina, Indiana. You went from Winthrop to Southern Indiana, and you only got into five games that first year, two plate appearances. So defensive replacement, pinch runner, what kind of guy were you at Winthrop? I, I, I just didn't play. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, my freshman year. I redshirted my, my sophomore year. Uh, I really just didn't play much, and um it had a little bit of an injury when uh, um, off the field in Hawaii on a uh-oh. team trip with a moped uh-oh. that uh, I want to break in my wrist. So, you know, it just things just didn't work for me real well in Winthrop, mm-hmm. and it got to the point there after two years. Um, I just wanted to go and play baseball. I, I, you know, getting drafted was never really on my mind. It was just about playing and finishing college, and I had three years of eligibility left, and I just wanted to play baseball. So. Um, fortunately, I knew a guy and was able to get out of there and, and go go to a smaller school where I was going to play every day. Well, and that team in Winthrop was stacked. Chris LaRue made mm. the big leagues. Kevin Slowey, who Slowey. we've all heard some stories. Uh, what kind of guy was he in college? Kevin was uh, extremely, extremely intelligent. It was, yeah, it, I felt like that could get work in your favor and against your favor as a pitcher. For him, it worked in his favor. He was just such a—you remember that. He was always in the top of top of the dean's list, and he was just a really, really intelligent guy. I never walked anybody when he was pitching. Not, not, even back in college, he wow. was the same type of pitcher. And I remember it kind of was a shock that next year, because we actually had another guy, Daniel Cart from West Virginia, okay. who was actually supposed to be even a bigger draft pick than all, all both of those guys. Oh, wow. He was, uh, at the time, one of the best players in the country. Um, so our fall practices, we had three guys who were projected to go in the fir- t- first two rounds and Daniel, Chris and Kevin. And Kevin was always kind of a surprise to us because we were like, well, you know, good control guy, but we didn't see a second round draft pick coming out of him. Yeah. Um, and came out that last year and really showed everybody that he was exactly what, what he thought, you know, everyone thought he was and was very worthy of that. And obviously had a great career, um, with Minnesota and then a little bit with, I saw him there. I played with him for Philly. Uh, in spring training. Oh, yeah, he, he went to so, the Marlins for a little bit because he was at Target yep. Field with the Marlins 
and I think 2013 mm-hmm. or 14 too. But you got the last laugh. You were the only hitter from that Winthrop team to make the big leagues. That's right. And so uh, kind of cool to get the last laugh. But I, I read in a story on, I don't, know if, I don't know what the platform was, that you thought about quitting. Mm-hmm. How close did you get to quitting baseball? I was really close that actually that year after I broke my wrist and just going to transfer. Uh, you know, I just had had a tough couple of years with baseball, you know, not playing really at all for two years when you spend your whole life playing, you know, mm-hmm. winter, you know, practicing all winter and then all fall and summer you're playing and then you go two seasons and really don't play at all. Um, it was tough. And I was just kind of starting to make a decision where, you know, at that time when you you haven't you know but two at bats in two years, you don't expect to ever get drafted. Your career yeah. to go any farther. So it was you're really, probably an anomaly that way. Yeah, I mean, there's not many guys who probably gone through some of that that I did, and I I just decided that you know maybe it was better to uh go a different route and just finish my degree and kind of focus all my energy on that and, and still play if possible. Um, and I was for, really fortunate enough to my college summer league coach was this assistant coach out in Southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, look, come out here. You're guaranteed to play every day. We're not very good. Uh, you will play every day for the next three years. You'll be our starting second baseman, probably hit in the middle of the order. And, um, you know, left it up to me. And I just looked at my dad and I was like, what do you think? I'm like, you know, it's Indiana. I've never been out to the Midwest and it's a small town. And, <laughs> you know, it's Evansville, Indiana. There's a lot more America after Indiana too, by the right. way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't like we we're going to Indianapolis. It was going to be Evansville. Yeah. And I was just kind of, and my dad said, look, do you miss playing? Do you love playing? I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, then go. He's like, don't worry about, you'll finish. Don't worry about what the school is or mm-hmm. what, like you've always been able to adapt. Just go and enjoy playing. And uh, so I went and we were terrible. We really, he wasn't kidding that this team was really bad. <laughs> I think we won like 11 games and I came close to quitting after the end of that year because oh, it just wasn't fun. Um, you know, when we were on, it was a small D2 and we just really weren't very good. And um, I kind of was contemplating it. And again, just like, do I want to just dive fully into my degree? And I went up to play summer ball in New York and I played on this team and it just was the most fun I've ever had in my life. Um, to this day, I don't think I've ever had more fun in a summer playing baseball. Than I did up in the New York collegiate baseball league. Mm. Uh, we wound up winning the championship, which was a, a bonus. But Anybody on your team that was notable? Yeah, we had, a, I mean, one guy, we had a couple guys to get drafted. One, uh, his name was Daniel Webb. I remember he I was remember from Oklahoma. Name. Yeah, and he got drafted. I think he. I don't think he ever got to the big leagues, but he did uh, get all the way up to AAA, I believe. With I want to say the Rangers, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong there. But uh, he's, and he since passed away. Has he? Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. That's bra- breaking that. some news. Uh, he played. He was from Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, yeah, sounds. That yeah, he, he was with the White Sox for a while. Oh well, yeah, that is him. Okay. Yeah. But, that's, um, yeah. I. I my brain was saying I thought maybe he'd pass, but I, I didn't want to oh, obviously yeah, say I it ahead time. That. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's not, not the news you want to hear. Right, yeah, but, uh, right. Um, yeah, but it was just we had a ton of fun. Yeah. And, and I remember we I went back to college, and we had to get this whole new coaching staff in, and and it was just this new challenge because it was this coach from um, – he was used to coach. He was coach at Wisconsin Park. Was this Coach Archuleta you're talking yes, about? Yes, it is. So, Arch- so that was in between your two years there then. Yeah, okay. so they brought him in, and we all knew this guy had a ton of success at Wisconsin Parkside, which is saying a lot because mm-hmm. how do you get guys to go to Wisconsin Parkside to play baseball? I mean, it's uh, cool. Unless they already live there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they always won, and so we were really excited about this guy, and he came in and kind of just knew what buttons to push on everybody. He yeah. basically told me that— He's like, yeah, you're fast, but he's like, you don't steal enough bases to really be considered fast. And if you were good enough defensively, you'd play short, not second. And I, oh. and I really took he he pushed me, and he, I took that to heart. And I really I worked really hard, and and obviously it paid off. And but he just knew what buttons to push, and he pushed them, and it all kind of worked out pretty well there. So you hit 323, stole 15 bases, 
pretty good on base, pretty good slugging. But you played second base and mm-hmm. you hit in the middle of the order. Is that? I think with that year, I think I hit I hit lead off I for did. your first year. Yeah, my first okay. year I hit lead off. But I mean, I was gonna say in a lot of ways that's not the guy we saw in the big leagues, mm-hmm. but rather you were an outfielder, you were a speed guy, and yeah. you know either top or bottom of the order. So things what you're, what you're missing there too is I actually and I, I led the conference and caught stealing too. Nine right of here. them I Nine. saw. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw. It's like, <laughs> well, with great opportunity comes <laughs> a great chance for uh, for negativity as well. Now the second year, I mean, this is like the stuff of legends. You know, almost a 500 on base, 64 steals. Were you second base still? Yeah, I still played. Second so you still base played second, and so you, you hadn't really made any transition to the outfield or anything. But 64 stolen bases, and you were on base. I think I saw like 100 and some times if you subtract. Extra base hits, mm-hmm. you know, I, I suspect you're not stealing third too often, but who knows. So you must have been, like, green light, go every time you're on first base. Yeah, and that's kind of what happened. Now, you were caught three times, too. What changed? Uh, Well, three I times. I think it was three. One, one to this day was still the big argument that I was safe. It was a uh, whole big thing. Uh, and the other wait, two Wait, you're telling were, me there's no replay in Division Two baseball? No. Uh, not, not, not in small 11, level 12 years ago? Unfortunately, we didn't mm-hmm. quite. We didn't Maybe quite, not yet either. I'm not even sure we had— Three umpires on the field. I think we just had one behind the plate calling all the oh, pitches. Oh no! But uh, and the other two were I actually remember they were both stealing third, and it was one of those things okay. where I, I had never really stole third that much, and I got really good at it by the end of the year. But early, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just stealing like I was stealing second, and I was getting thrown out by quite a bit. So and, the reads are totally different, though. I mean, yeah, I just didn't understand the concept really because yeah. I'd never really done it. I don't can't tell you why. I just never really <laughs> did it. I just it was uh, just athleticism and speed yeah. rather than and technique. I, and I was just get, I twice I got gunned down pretty bad, and I remember Arch being pretty pissed at me. He's like, that just can't ever happen. Well, was it the making the third out at third or the first out at third? You know, the old yeah. cardinal rule: you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's kind of. A, but for me, it was always, and I I took this all the way through when I was playing the you know my whole career with. I just never felt like I should be thrown out at third ever. Yeah. Because I can score from second on just about anything. So I, you know, obviously if I can get there, great. But um, if it's tight and there's, I don't need to force. I really didn't like to force third base because I, I didn't really have to. It's and not that value of a base to steal. It's not. And there's certain players that, you know, if you can get the third base with less than two, it's really a big bonus. And there's other players that, you know, if Joe Maurer is hitting, I wouldn't do it. Because right. Joe's very, you know, it just you don't need guys move, like let him just drive you in. There's mm-hmm. other guys who maybe uh, Josh Willingham was a good example because he could lift the ball so easily. Um, yeah, fly ball, you, you fly ball to the left that's on the you know right. medium deep in your not scoring. A, not a huge singles hitter, but yeah. could easily get the ball deep enough for me to score. Then I take my shot and try and get there for him because mm-hmm. it makes his life a lot easier. So, so did you make any better like reads or learn to read pitchers better, or was it just? Someone's, you know, Coach Argelotta saying, listen, you got to steal more bases. And that was, I mean, obviously you go from 377 to 484 on base, you know, 100 points is going to give you more opportunities. Yeah. But what was the big change as far as, was it mental? Was it, it was reading like, pitchers? What I was it? I think I just got a lot faster. Um, I really? trained really hard. And I, I remember that year we went to scout day in the in the fall and I ran like a 6 460. And wow. all of a sudden it was my arch was kind of like, wait a second, what'd you? they made me run it again. I mm-hmm. ran like a 645 again. And, um, it just kind of instilled they're like, all right, let's do this. And so I started, I actually did a lot of studying. I remember with Arch, we would watch videos of Ricky and things like this and oh, watch yeah. some of the stuff. And I thought you meant Ricky Romero at first. I was like, <laughs> no, nope, no, no, we're no, getting no. a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, here. no, no. Um, so, I, and then I kind of got the hang of steel in third. So it kind of got to the point where it was, if I got on it, it was second and third pretty quick. And I had a guy, one of my best friends on the team, Hunter Slade, who hit behind me mm-hmm. and he would just stand there and just. Let kind it of let, 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 I mean, he had no problem. I think he broke the record that year for RBIs. He always said it was because of me because <laughs> he would just take two pitches and I'd be on third and then he'd hit a fly ball. 
But on the same token, you know, I stole 64 because he took two pitches and yeah. let me run around the bases, you know. And, and again, the competition wasn't amazing. So a lot of times I could just outrun things. And I struggled when I got the pro ball my first year because I couldn't just outrun the ball anymore. So Well, so when did it become clear to you or, or even when did it become an option that you thought maybe you'd get drafted at this point? It was about halfway through the year. I mean, uh, you know, we had heard rumblings. There was rumblings out of high school. I might go in the 35th, 40th round. Yeah. There was rumblings um, a couple times during college, even though I wasn't playing when I was at Winthrop because of my 40 time, um, because I was running 6 4 40s. Turn you into a Terrence Gore or something? Yeah. They, they, there yeah. was, all, you know, you heard the rumblings, but uh, you never really thought much of it. And then it was about halfway through the year, my last year there in Southern Indiana, when all of a sudden, the letters were flooding in from from just about every team. Sure. Um, you know, I think we got them from 20 different, 20, 25 different organizations. Now, granted, a lot of those are just mailers that some local, you know, area scout who really has no say is sending in. But mm-hmm. um, then as the season progressed and I started winning awards and for, in the conference and, and you know, got up to 64 stolen bases and went to the regional championship and just, and really played well there that you started getting the phone calls from the teams. And then we got narrowed down to about five or six that we thought were realistically going to draft me. And so 16th round, I mean, how how soon did you think you were going to go? Was that a, a good spot, a spot maybe a little later than you expected? Where, where did you kind of slot in when you're thinking about draft day on uh, 2007? You, you know how it goes. I think everyone has this same story unless you go first overall. Right, uh, right. You, you know, you hear they tell you we're going to take you here and you wind up going there. So I was told by, you know, they uh, the Blue Jays told me um, – you know, if you if you get past the sixth round, we're taking you with the seventh round pick. Yeah. Um, then it was the tenth round pick. Then it was the twelfth round pick. And then finally it was the sixteenth round pick. And actually, ironically, the Blue Jays weren't even really on my radar. Uh, really? I forget what. It was two National League teams. One was the Mets. And I forget what the other one. And the Cardinals were the two teams that we thought I really was going to get drafted by. Um, they had the most contact with me. And then a day or two before the draft, it was the Blue Jays that came hard and and I, re- again, really thought that I was going to probably go, you know, they said five, so we knew realistically it was 10. Mm-hmm. And um, it was pretty disheartening when they took another second baseman from Tulane with number 10. Um, and that was kind of weird because I was expecting to go. They, they told me. Emus, yeah, Brad Emus. Yeah. Emus, yeah. And they told me I was going to go there. And um, to see them not only not take me but take a second baseman, I was kind of caught me off guard. But um, at the time, it was just I remember I got the phone call, 16th, pit, 16th round, and it was, I looked at my dad and he's like, you got to go, you know, you got to go. So you guys, you guys never even say, gave a second thought to going back? No, you know, really, re, re, you know, honestly, I wasn't going to repeat the year I had. I mean, maybe, maybe I was, but I had a, such a phenomenal year. But it wouldn't prove anything else because that it was just the same year, level. Right. And it was just a year older. And, it, you know, I, I really wanted to go. And um, so we just, we jumped right on it and went and flew out a week later to go to, <laughs> go to, go to Florida. Yeah. And that was uh, low A? I started short season. I started start short season up in Auburn, New York. Yeah. Yep. So some of the guys though, I mean, so they took they had a lot of picks that year. Aaron Sibia, yep. Cecil, guys you played with for a long time. Which, which I think says a lot about your path and that you made it up with those guys mm-hmm. who were taken so much earlier. Zepchinski, Brad Mills. I mean, they drafted some guys who played in the big leagues and then from from uh Emis to mm-hmm. you, you know, none of the guys in between there made the big leagues. So obviously you you rewarded their their faith in you. Mm-hmm. So you, you you go out on the uh, on the circuit, you are well first of all, so draft that you said was on a, like you just saw it on a screen, you, they or they give you a call too after. They called me right before. Right I remember before, they okay. called me and they said, "Hey, your name is about to come up." And we we're like, "Okay." And they're like, "No, seriously, we just we just handed it in. You're coming up. We took you with the 16th round pick and and then we hung up the phone, we went over the numbers and we hung up the phone and 
boom, me and my dad were sitting there, and there came my name across the computer. So did you go, like, how did you, how does signing that first contract work? Is it something they fax you, you fax back? Because, I, I mean, first-round picks, they'll fly in. You yeah. Know, that 2013, when you were on the team and were, you know, playing regularly with the Twins, and they had Stewart and Gonsalves, mm-hmm. they brought those guys in. Guys in the 10th, 12th round, what happens then? You just kind of get a plane, you get a phone call, and they say, here's your plane reservation to go to Flot, Florida, and Dunedin, and we'll see you down there when you so got down there. So that's their Fort Myers, Dunedin yes, is their yeah, Fort Myers, Yeah, that was, that was their, their, their spring training, their uh, rookie ball league, Florida State League is all there, and uh-huh. basically got in a flight, went down there, and when I got there, Take went the into physical, the sim, yeah. took the physical, and signed the paperwork there, and put a uniform on and got, got start, started, started going. Get poked and prodded. So you were in the Penn League, I think it was New York Penn League in Auburn, mm-hmm. and that year, Aaron Sebia, Cecil, and Zepchinski on your team. When you play with guys who make the big leagues in short season ball, when you think back to what those guys were like then and then you know that they eventually made the big leagues, how do you remember them as far as like their competition level to the other guys in the league who didn't ever make it? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty... Uh, unique. I mean, Cecil and Zepchinski were, I mean, it looked like a grown men with little kids in yeah. that league. I mean, Brett Cecil, it wasn't even fair. Um, he is a, we actually won the championship in that league, and I think we would have won it even easier if they would let Brett. Brett couldn't pitch more than four innings. He was on a very, very strict pitch count, and his four innings typically were, you know, 13 hitters and with nine strikeouts. I mean, it was just, you knew when Brett was slated to throw that day, he was, the first four innings were going to be a joke. If we, you know, it was just, he was so right. dominant. Um, they actually let him pitch longer into the game because he pitched the championship game when we were playing Brooklyn. Um, they let him go like six innings, which was nice. Yeah. So we had a chance to win the championship. But uh, same thing with Mark. Mark was the same way. He, he was pretty dominant. JP was a little bit of an anomaly because JP really wasn't supposed to be there, but for a few weeks, uh, he was supposed to come play for a few weeks, um, and then go up to, I believe, low A or high oh, yeah. A college pick in the first round, 21st overall. Those guys sometimes, yep. And he will was, go straight to he high was, a. he was signed later and he, so he missed like that week of prep before. Oh, so they yeah. were just, and he, and he was an offensive catcher. He was not known for his defense. He was right. known for his offense and he struggled mightily and they actually kept him there all year. Wow. Um, and but he was he worked his tail off, and that was the one thing about JP was I always stuck out with him. Is this is a guy who just is our second overall pick, first rounder. You know we know this guy's getting pushed through the system. We know next year, no matter what he does, he's starting high A, maybe double A, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. He's going to big league camp next year. He had no reason to really put in the effort, and he did, and he he fought through it, and he struggled, and by the end he started to take off. Um, but he really he could have just kind of mailed it in, and he didn't, and it was just really impressive on his part. So, so that year, twenty steals, ten caught stealing. So that was probably a bit of a, I, I don't know what you'd call it, an adjustment, obviously. Yeah. But a three ninety one on base, and actually, as I saw later on in Baseball America, you got like best strike zone discipline in one league, and I don't know if it was best defensive outfielder or what it was, but obviously the tools are there. Next year, though, at Lansing, which would be full season low A. The hitting was, you know, 228, 302 on base, but 30 steals, one caught stealing. Do you remember the one? Uh, I do not remember. I don't remember the one. Sure, but, I mean, obviously but it, this is, I mean, but you stole it, Yeah, it was a good year, that 400 bases in the minors. Or, no, sorry, 280. So, I mean, obviously you're not going to remember all of them. But uh, as far as, like, adjustments there, was that kind of your figuring out pro pitchers a little more as far as their motion and – it, timing and everything. Know, it was still kind of me just relying purely on speed. It was mm-hmm. more of me not not running into outs. Uh, that first uh, year, 
I was so used to good jump, bad jump, whatever, just go, you'll be safe, especially at second base. Mm -hmm. um, pro ball, it was my first year, still same mentality, and I'm getting thrown out a lot by three, four, five feet. Um, and I had a great hitting coach who just was a hitting coach for the Rangers the last couple of years, and Justin Mayshore. And he took kind of took care of me, and he was like, "Boy, you can't do that." So yeah, uh, that next year, I fortunately had him again as a hitting coach in Low A, and we worked on it. And it was wasn't so much reading pitchers any better. I, I wasn't still wasn't good at that. It was strictly bad jump, shut it down, and hit the brakes and don't run. And mm -hmm. that was kind of where where those the caught stealings got cut down. How fast do you know if you have a good jump, bad jump? I mean, is it I mean, first couple steps? It's the second you before as soon as I cross over, you know if you yeah. you know if you got a good jump. You know, and sometimes it depends. You know, you know what guy is to the plate, how the catcher is. You know, sometimes you know what pitch is being thrown. Mm -hmm. And depending on how good of a jump it was, sometimes I'd shut it down. Most of the times I kept going and yeah. took my shot unless it was something I knew I had to get a monster jump on. So the next year they bumped you up to uh we were talking about Lansing here. I'm sorry. They, they bumped you up to Lansing. You played with Tim Collins and, and Danny Farquhar and as, mm -hmm. as well as Zepchinski. Uh, Collins, definitely an anomaly, too, at his size as a left-handed yeah. pitcher. But how does a guy that size throw that hard? I still don't know. I, I don't know. He kind of had that Tim Lincecum thing, if you yeah. were watching pitch. Yep. Same kind of motion, same kind of leverage, and the way he would really just kind of whip it over the top. And I, I think part of, again, with similar to Lincecum, not real big guys – you don't expect it, and they were able to really generate a lot of sneakiness with that pitch, the way they would hide the ball so low and almost kind of, it's almost like a windmill action. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really bizarre, and, you know, I actually never faced him, to be honest with you. I just, but I would see it from the outfield when I was behind him, and you could just see how late hitters were, and his fastball really was dead straight. I mean, straight really? as an arrow, and guys just couldn't quite figure out how to hit it. He kind of do that stuff that nowadays everyone talks about, the spin rate high oh, and yeah. up in the zone. Yep. And he kind of was doing that before that was even a thing. And I think that's a big part of what made him so successful. Well, and in, in picking up the ball from that spot in space, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you get used to side armors. You know, you can pick that ball up there, right. especially a righty to a lefty or vice versa. But I, I suppose part of that in hiding the ball, too, is just learning to pick up the ball from that low of a slot. Right. Well, and, and he just kind of whipped it. There was nothing. Yeah. You just didn't see much ball before it was on top of you. And the other thing with Tim was, you know, he kind of had that little man syndrome. He wasn't scared of anybody. So he was a tiger. Like he, a, he was. He was a bulldog. Yeah, and there you he, go. He had no, sh he, you know, he would tell you what was coming. He was just like, hit it. Like, he just had that mentality of, I'm going to make my best pitch, and if you hit it, great, but you're probably not going to. I feel like if you're a reliever, you almost have to have that. Like, that, yes. or not, maybe not necessarily have to, but it's going to lend itself to the most success. And that's what all closers have. And you have yeah. to have that to yeah. be to pitch in those situations. If you're second guessing the pitch, you're in trouble. And and those guys who are so good out of the pen who need to come out and get two, three guys out, mm -hmm. they just they're like, you know what my best pitch is. I know what my best pitch is. I'm throwing it. I'm gonna execute and you're just not gonna hit it. And that's sure. what and that's how Tim he always had that attitude. So did you keep up with Farquhar at all? I mean he got to the big leagues with the Mariners, mm -hmm. had the issues last year with Chicago Which where he, scary, yeah. I mean, he very nearly died. And I think he just signed a minor league deal with, I want to say, the Yankees. So yes. he's, he's making his way back. I saw that. But um, what a story. I mean, to even think he could be fully functional, let alone trying to pitch again, is, is incredible. I mean, it's really exciting. Um, yeah. You know, and, and me and Danny were close. We, we played together for so many years and kind of lost touch. But, you know, when we saw each other, we was always kind of catch up, say hi. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just kind of catch, catch up on what's been going on. But, uh yeah, I mean, I couldn't be happier for him and his family that he came out of that the way he did, and that he's been cleared to uh, cleared to come back and pitch, and mm -hmm. hopefully things, 
he can get himself back up there with the Yankees. But if not, I mean, I you know the fact that he's healthy and 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 alive is yeah. is a real big positive. If guys come through town at Target Field, like for instance him or whoever else is still playing, how often will you go visit or see him? Because I mean, it's still new. You've only lived here for a handful yeah. of years, but I don't really do that at all. I mean, you know, you just remember playing. It's you just they got so much going on, yeah. and, and they're only here for a short time, and. To try and coordinate, you know, it's just kind of, you know, maybe we'll catch up on the phone or something or send a couple of texts. The guy will say, I'm in town. But for the most part, that doesn't really even happen because they're just in and out and mm-hmm. just kind of move on. My, my old hitting coach, who was with the Rangers, you know, we'd go out to lunch every time he the Rangers yeah. came into town and catch up, talk about the families and, and all that stuff. But um, but other than that, it's, it's not much because, you know, those guys, they're focused on something. And, and their free time, they usually just want to put their feet up and mm-hmm. ca- kind of catch their breath. So— they pushed you up to Dunedin the next year, which again is their home spot. Not 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 necessarily maybe because of the numbers you had at Lansing, but maybe just because of I mean you're 23 at this point. And they want to mm-hmm. keep you moving, but um, you know obviously a very good year at Dunedin before they bu- bumped you to New Hampshire. What clicked for you that allowed you? I mean 426 on base, basically a strikeout per walk, and uh, 32 steals in just 61 games. I mean it had to just be clicking for you. Yeah, it was kind of a unique year. Uh, I actually came off Tommy John that off season. I got it after the 2008 oh, wow. season. I got Tommy John. I surgery. can't remember if you ever told me about that or not. Yeah, well, I actually. So part of what happened in 2008 was I had blew out my elbow at the end of 2007 in Instructs. In, um, in okay. Um, but as an outfielder, they were kind of like, you know, let's just rehab it. Well, season comes along, I can't really extend my arm, couldn't stay through the ball, and that would in part what happened. So I wound up getting surgery at the end of 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, came into spring training the next year, really busted my, was able to get back and start swinging earlier than everyone thought. Um, and, but I couldn't play and I couldn't really take BP. So I was spending a ton of time with my hitting coaches, just one-on-one. It was almost like I had individual lessons every single day mm-hmm. and we tightened some things up and we really, I really was able to get a lot more attention, which I probably needed to tighten up my swing. Yep. And, um, got to really work on that and it kind of wound up paying off and I, I was lucky to go to high a we really it was more or less of we just didn't have anybody else uh, you know the big prospect at the time was sean Shoffit. he was going to go to double a that year mm-hmm. and we, they just didn't have another center fielder to to play in high a and i kind of just fell backwards into it and stole a ton of bases in spring training that in minor league camp and i mm-hmm. think it you know maybe helped a little bit but sure uh, we it was really kind of a uh, center field by default in that situation. Unfortunately, I was able to take advantage of it. So, were you there when Adam Lowen and, and Eric oh, yeah. Thames passed through? Oh, I mean, so me and Eric Thames and, and Adam played together for a long time. Eric, yeah, yeah. 2010, me and Eric spent every night together that year. We lived at home together. We lived on the road. We went to the All Star <laughs> Game together. Yeah, I know. Me and Eric go back, go way back. So you're probably just as excited as anybody about him getting back to the big leagues with the Brewers yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, that was that was exciting. I, you know, I was excited for him when he went over overseas because I killed knew it over he, there too. Was gonna, that was never a question. He was going to yeah. do that. Um, but I was excited that he came back and had the success in Milwaukee that he's had. What is Adam Lowen like, though? At that point, he was a hitter, and he'd come up. He was part of that that assembly line of pitchers that Baltimore basically shredded with Hayden Penn and Bernami's Liz and, I mean, Chris Tillman eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they shredded so many guys who had such a – Brian Mattis, all these guys that had – I mean, basically Jake Arrieta was on that path until the Cubs grabbed him and um, – Dylan Bundy, you could, you could go on all day, but uh, what what was he like as a player trying to reinvent himself on the fly? Because I have to believe perseverance first and foremost is a big character trait from a guy like that. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be such an uphill climb. What was he like personality wise? Adam was one of the best teammates you could ever imagine. He really was. Um, 
I mean, to come from what he was, I mean, if you really think about it, this guy was one of the biggest prospects in the world right. at the time. You know, when he went to the, got called him, this was a huge deal. This guy was a phenom. And then had every chance to just rehab, go back and pitch again. He's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I want to go hit. And it takes a lot. A lot he of, could really hit, too. And he could hit. And th- there was no question. I remember watching him hitting that year, and he was still figuring it out, but, you know, kind of getting his timing back down and working some things out because it had been quite a few years. But there was no question that there was, you know, I, I, at the time we weren't sure if it was he was going to ever get to the big leagues. But, but there was the talent to stay where was he there. was. It was. Sure. If he had stayed with hitting instead of pitching from the get-go, he'd have been a big league outfielder. Wow. No question. Wow. Um, and it was just amazing watching him. And the, the funny story is no one really really knows that he made it as a big hitter, and then he made it again as a pitcher years later with with uh, the Phillies. So it's, it's crazy. pretty incredible. The guy, to go, to, to, hard enough to make the big leagues once, and he made it three times, switching positions back and forth. That's perseverance, basically personified. So about halfway through, or, you know, you ended up spending 70 games in New Hampshire, double mm-hmm. A. I mean, double A is when big league dreams, I think, kind of have to be starting to crop up for guys. I don't know about your situation necessarily, but was that about the time where you're like, this could really happen? Or what, when did that start happening for you where you're like, ah, I could get to the big leagues sometime soon? Yeah, I, I knew I wasn't probably going to get to the big leagues that year. Um, but I did know I leapfrogged their big outfield prospect. So the guy yeah. who was really ahead of me, we flip-flopped that year. He struggled in double A. I was doing great in high A. And we flip-flopped roles. And I went to double A and they sent him down. He was a couple years older than me. So oh, wow. Or a year or two older than me. So I, at that point, I knew I had kind of, you know, coming off that monster campaign in, in the Florida State League where at, me and Ben Revere mm-hmm. were tied for just about every, you know, offensive thing you could do outside of anything extra base-wise. But we were <laughs> tied with, you know, stolen bases, uh, triples, on-base percentage, average. And I think he had a higher average by a little bit. But it was um, – I knew I was getting closer, but I knew I had a ways to go. Mm-hmm. And – and especially when I got to Double A that first year, then '09, it was it was a big of a very big uh, adjustment for me. I mean, I think I finished hitting in the 270 range, 271, 271. But I, it was a lot coming on at the end. In my first month there, uh, it was not great, and I struggled. And you know, I I knew I had time. I knew I was given an opportunity here, but that's the first time you were really younger than the average player. So Baseball yeah. Reference does mm-hmm. you were you were almost a year and a half younger than the average Double A player. That was about the first time. You had played at against guys older than you. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's big. And it was the first time I really played with guys who had been in the big leagues. And you know, we had, you know, that that time we had the Double A guys who were thirty one and just mm-hmm. hanging on, kind of like what I did my last year with yeah. Texas, where I went to Double A with Texas for the last month Is and was Frisco? playing. Yep, Frisco and yeah. played with a bunch of twenty two year olds. And um, I re- remember thinking back to two thousand nine, being like, you know, what an impact some of these guys had on me, and I was able to do that. What you know, kind of you know, hand it over like way guys did for me when I was that age. So 38 steals with New Hampshire, that's 70, yeah, 70 for yeah. the season. I mean, I, I see he has some chains on. I don't know if any of them say 70, but I mean, when you think back on your career, is 70 steals in, in one year kind of like, yeah, man, I can't believe I did that or that's one of the coolest things I ever did? Yeah, it's up there. It really is. Um, I, I As the years have went on, I, for, I didn't really realize how many I stole until you start watching guys putting up numbers and, just no one does it anymore. I mean, um, B- uh, Billy Hamilton's not even stealing 70. He no. might this year for Kansas City because they're going to be kind of bad, but, but 70 yeah, steals is a lot of steals. And, and I believe, I, and I did it at a very high clip, too. I didn't get thrown out very well, which is something I was always very proud of. 70 for 85. Yeah, I was, I was very proud of that. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be a guy that went 70 for 100. Um, right, yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't think that was the point of base stealing. So I took a lot of pride in that. And, um, you know, it was definitely one of the highlights. I mean, that was something different and something new that not many guys got to do and I and I was pretty proud of that so did you play with Ricky Romero at either level that year 
So I did not. I actually played with Ricky Romero when we were in Buffalo with the with the Blue Jays years at, later. At that point, it was much later. Well, he was obviously on the comeback trail at that point, but you guys must have just missed because he went, I think, through both stops that year, but maybe just not at the same time mm-hmm. as you. And so a, a guy whose career completely got derailed, you just hate to see that as well. Yeah, it was tough. Ricky was a great guy. I actually remember— he actually just officially retired, like Did he? in the last few months, I think. Yeah, he, Ricky was a really great guy. I mean, and I remember my my biggest Ricky story wasn't so much in the minor leagues. It was I, my my one day in the big leagues with the Blue Jays. Ricky was the pitcher, and at the time, he was our ace. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really, really nervous because it's one thing to be out there, but it's another thing when you, you got your ace in the mound and you're making and you're playing center field in the big yeah. leagues. You better not screw up. And I just remember Ricky kind of came over to me before the game. He was like, "God, you know, happy to have you up here. So excited! Like, can't he's like, can't wait for you to run down some of my some of them fly balls that are gonna hit off me tonight." And it just was. I, I thought it was a really cool moment. Didn't need to do that. We right. weren't that close coming up. Yeah. Didn't know each other that well, and he went out of his way and. You know, that was kind of Ricky being Ricky, which he was a good guy. Do you remember the first ball hit to you at, in that game? We'll, we'll get back to that later, but I got to ask you, I mean, what, what were those nerves like? Was it the first ball hit to you? or the? Because you swung at the first pitch. I did. It was such too. a bad decision. What, Tough, um, boy, that was what, what was the lump in your throat moment in that first game? Uh, just every second of it. So the whole thing. Just every second of that game was, uh, was nerve-wracking. Um, being in the Dome. The door, the top was closed in Toronto. Ah, yep. That was off. Never done anything. Never been in one of those before. So that was, Jeez. you know, with the lights. Um, what that a nightmare was, to field fly balls. Yep. And I remember being there, and they hit me fly balls for about an hour and a half before the game because I was so scared of it. You yeah. know, trying to get used to the, to t- the turf. It's the whole aesthetic of it, though. I mean, yep. it's just nothing you'll ever see in the minors no matter how long you play. Yep. And I, I actually remember the most nerve-wracking part of the whole game was I was late in the game, and I uh, JP was on first base. He bunted. And I had to get a bunt down. And and I it was a sidearm right-handed pitching. I forget who it was. Uh, and I got the bunt down. And I just remember getting the bunt sign and just panicking because I knew, you know, you hear this your whole life. If you screw up a bunt in the big leagues, you're getting sent down five seconds later. They just take you out of the game and send oh, you down. Man. So that, that was probably the worst part of the whole thing. Well, and your fears were founded because you didn't stay up after the game anyway. Although you yeah. did get it, you did get a night in the big leagues. I did they get a full night. They, they did they get a full night. Sent you back the next day. I think the next day technically counted too because I woke up there, so I, I wound up getting two days of service time. Hey, not bad. So you would have faced who's uh, Lewis Coleman? Would that have been the guy that you were facing, or Blake Wood? Uh, on the bunt. I would. I think. I bet it was Coleman because Coleman yeah, throws kind of right. funky. Yeah. Because Mauer homered off him this year, and he's he was pitching for Detroit, I think. And yeah, he's kind of funky from the. It would probably been him. Yeah. So righty right. That's a nasty match. Yeah, it was for not you. fun. And, and and mind you, coming off you know being in the minor leagues, you don't even being a guy like me, you don't get asked to bunt in the minor league. Well, no, you you at that point you're the kind of guy that gets on and steals. Other people bunt you over. Right. And maybe you know I I, I never did a good enough job of bunting for base hits enough in Microsoft. I didn't right. practice bunting even though. I'm supposed to. Be, I get up there. I'm supposed to be, you know, an expert, the Rod Carew. Yeah. Uh, but and I was just, I was panicky. But we got it done. And there's a lot of other times it didn't get done, but that time we did. <laughs> so if we go back to 09 for a little bit. You played in the fall league that year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a breeding ground for two types of players, in my opinion. You've got the the legit prospects, and then you've got the guys the teams want to get a longer look at, mm-hmm. like Adam Lowe. And I mean, he just needed the reps. Yep. Um, but th- there's guys like Jamel Weeks. I'm talking about your teammates on yeah. Phoenix. Steven Strasburg, by the way. Strasburg, I mean, yep. guy that, uh, you know, he's all right. Drew Storen, Danny Espinoza. Okay. So, I mean, you must have gotten the Nationals contingent and maybe the A's we contingent. Got, uh, that and the Rays. Okay. So those are the big names that stood out to me. I mean, a few other guys made the big leagues, but Strasburg, obviously, playing with him had to be kind of crazy. But you guys had a good record. What's it like playing in Arizona after the grind of a full season? 
I mean, are you mentally tapped out at that point? I, you know, I actually had a unique situation there. I actually didn't get invited to go there right away. Um, I went home at the end of the 2009 season, thought my season was over. Um, so were you in New York at that time? I was in North Carolina. North Carolina and okay. I was actually out golfing one day, and I got a phone <laughs> call, and they asked if I wanted to go. There was an injury, and my double-A manager was the manager of the team. Oh, yeah. And when their outfielder got hurt from the Rays, our manager, the manager, who uh, Gary Cathcart, was like, I got a oh, guy. Yeah. I got a guy called Mastriani. And that's how I—so I went down there about a couple days after the season had started, but— um, it was a unique experience. It was fun. Um, yeah, you're tired. You're tired at that point, you know, especially I had played a lot that year. Mm-hmm. And um, coming off 2008 where I didn't play a ton towards the end, you know, I think I only had 270 at-bats that year because I was didn't play much. So I, I was pretty pretty wiped out. Com- also coming off the surgery, um, I, it was a real great experience. I got to see some really good baseball. But, it, yes, it is a little it's, – it's exhausting at that point. So – I mean, did, did any of those guys give you any material or like, I mean, Strasburg, playing with Strasburg, you, you probably never forget that. How how amazing was it to watch him up that closely? Uh, it was really interesting because you heard so much about this guy. And right. He just, he's such this big deal and everyone's freaking out. And I actually remember the first pitch I ever saw him throw, the guy hit a homer off him. Oh, no. He hung a slider and the guy hit an opposite field pop-up Arizona type home run mm-hmm. that really shouldn't have went out, the but it did. The warm desert air carried it out. Yeah. yeah. And, but um, he was great. You know, he handled it great. The whole situation down there, the, he was getting abused. I mean, at one point he needed special security because there was a couple of people stalking him. Jeez. Um, and he he actually was supposed to go to the Rising Stars game or oh, whatever yeah, it was like called, midway through and there. they had to cancel it. And people were real pissed because they people had bought tickets to go just to see him throw, mm-hmm. and they had to cancel because he he was it wasn't it literally wasn't safe for him to go because there were some stalking issues. Um, but he was a great guy. He was really fun to be around. Mm-hmm. You know, when you you met him, you would never know that you were dealing with a guy that was this much hype and this much potential. Phenom, basically, yeah, you just didn't know he just didn't act that way he was very low-key and to himself and good teammate but wasn't looking to, to stand out other than what he did on the field so the next year though you go back to new hampshire and you're playing with uh, among some other players kyle drabeck travis snyder and uh, denny hecavaria yeah so it depends on how you look at it but snyder and drabeck's careers could be looked at as somewhat disappointing based on how they have panned out mm-hmm. When, when we had Eric O'Flaherty on before and Lane Adams, you know, what's it like knowing now? Like, was there anything you could see then where it was like, maybe this won't work for them? Or is it just kind of baseball chews you up and spits you out no matter if you're a big prospect or, uh, you know, just an average player down there? I think Kyle just had injuries. Kyle had another Tommy John and yeah. it really derailed him. And I don't think he ever was able to recover that same velocity, that same power curveball that he got, that mm-hmm. he had. Um, and Kyle was a little crazy. Kyle was like me. He was very intense, yep. and he could lose his uh, patience very, very quickly. And I think that— um, Is that better for a position player than a pitcher, would you I say? think it's worse for everybody. Okay. You know, I think— it, It's just bad no our, matter what. Yeah. Our big joke was when you're a super prospect, when you're crazy like that, you're con- you're considered super—you're in- an intense competitor. Yep. And if you're not a big prospect, you're you're a lunatic. You're a malcontent. Um, yes. And— Where were you guys on the Brett Lowry scale? Oh, God. He was—we were both— Pretty close. I know he. <laughs> we'll Kyle, Kyle too, was but. Kyle was probably worse than Brett, but I forgot wow. about. Yeah, I forgot about Brett. Yeah, Brett. So was, is baseball, though. To be honest with you. Yeah, and you know what? I can always say, but both those guys and myself, I, I you, you lose your patience, you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I never remember Brett making a mistake defensively because of an at bat. I don't think I ever did it. Um, you lose it, but when you come down to the next play, you're ready for it. And I think. 
that's something that that uh, all three of us were able to do is get to the next get to the next moment mm-hmm. without letting, even though we we're freaking out about the one before it, and maybe it looks like we're out of control. We were able to move on pretty quickly. So with Hecavaria, did he look like a big leaguer at that point? Because I mean. He was oh, a he was a disaster. He was, he was the Cuban import. Yeah, if I'm not it was, mistaken. and it everybody was said defense, which I think he became a pretty good defender. He's never hit, but he was a uh, you know when we first got him, um, our our manager was uh, Luis Rivera, who is now the third base coach. I believe he still is with the with the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, and he had played in the big league for like ten years. He was a defensive specialist, and Adaney would throw the ball. So they'd want arm. they'd want those two guys paired together, and for that sure. was why he got rushed to Double A with us was because they wanted Louis. He'd have been the, super raw at that point. Oh, he was a disaster. I loved Adaney. He couldn't speak any English. So he needed a Latin translator. Right. I feel like that speeding and, a guy up like that is just a disaster potential. But. You know, he actually—you could see some potential with his. He had lightning hands. He could get to anything. He, he just was very lazy with his throwing mechanics. Oh, uh, yeah. And he would throw the ball everywhere. And once they got to him and realized, and he finally stopped throwing the ball sidearm and flipping it across the diamond mm-hmm. and started throwing with better mechanics, all of a sudden you saw this, all the glove work just explode. And because he could get to anything, and he he was—I remember watching him and Jose Iglesias together oh, screwing man. around. That's like were, that's like defensive pornography, frankly. Yeah, I mean, and, and they were childhood friends, so they <laughs> had been doing this in the backyard for years, and, yeah. and now all of a sudden they're doing it here in Double A, and we're watching them. And once they got him to start throwing the ball, because he had way better arm than Jose. Yeah, um, it was pretty incredible some of the plays that he could make, and it was pretty really fun to watch. So, you went to Venezuela that winter. I mean. You talk about a culture shock for Hecavaria coming to the States. Maybe not the same in Venezuela, but what was that like? I mean, what was your adjustment process like playing in the Winter League in Venezuela? It was a different different experience than anything I can, you know, ever experience or or really explain. Uh, you know, it is their version of the big leagues. And, and when you're, you know, for them. Well, do they do like the chants and the oh flags God, and everything? Oh, God, it's everything. And is that, as a player, is that unnerving? Is it cool? It's unnerving. What is it? It's unnerving because— um, First of all, you've n- I've never you know never played in stadiums this big in yeah. 2010. Never played in front of oh, 25,000 yeah, people. New Hampshire's nothing compared to that. No, and the reality was 20,000 Venezuelan fans is the same as 45,000 American fans. I mean, they're Sound so wise. they're they okay. actually, you know, now a lot of times even in the big leagues, people come to the game with their family. It's a night out. It's an event. They don't really care who wins. Right. Every single person at Venezuela Stadium, they care who wins, and they are into those games. It's and like it, a soccer game. Intense. Yes, it is. It's extremely intense. You know, um, we've all heard the stories. It can be a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these places you'd go, and there were National Guard guys in between innings out there with their rifles just in case someone— I mean, it was a little unnerving. Venezuelan Guard guys? Yeah. You guys didn't have special security other than that? No, we had guys that helped us get around, um, If you know, obviously because with the language barrier. And, and yeah. again, you know, it, it was an amazing experience. I don't want to take anything away from that country because it's a beautiful country, and a lot of the people there were extremely nice. There was just— I mean, I'm not hiding anything. You yeah. turn on the news and you can see there's issues going on, and it's been like that for years. But it was yeah. a it was a very unique experience, and I went back two more times because I I truly enjoyed going down there. Where where was Luis Valbuena this last winter? That wasn't Venezuela, was it? I, I think it was. Okay, when he passed away in the so, car accident. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Vera Cruz. Uh, Vera, I almost said Vera Cruz. Yaracuy, it looks yep. like. So, um, 
Yeah, and that was a situation where they were and there's putting one rocks out there. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, just you know, a buddy of mine, actually Joe Benson. Um, if you oh yeah, yeah, him. yeah. He played for the he played for the Chicago Dogs last yep. year in the American. He Association. actually had an experience where they put rocks in the street and forced the cab to stop. And so that's what they were trying to do with Valbuena. They just hit the rocks. Probably they were probably there yeah. were probably about five or six guys in the woods oh, that they were hoping that once his car stopped, they were going to come and rob them. And that's kind of what happened. That's exactly what happened to Joe Benson. And um. You know, it's just kind of, it's tough for some of those guys, uh, some of those superstars that go back down there. And that's why you see a lot of them, as they get too big over here, they don't go back and play anymore because it just really, unfortunately, isn't safe. Yeah, that's that's terrible. And unfortunately, nothing you ever had to deal with. But I suppose at this point, now that you have a family, if you had to think about going back there, you'd just be like, no, nah, it's not worth it anymore. No, I, I know guys who went down there, you can make really good money going down there, and they'd go. That's how they supported their family. Well, especially was, where you're at with minor league pay, I'm sure that making that money oh, was— for me, it was like I felt like I was rich going yeah. down there the first time. because, And it's all cash, you know? They just put in your bank. There's no taxes. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it Uncle was Uncle Sam great. doesn't listen to this show, so nah, you're okay there. Well— yeah, touche. Eh. But uh, so it, it was an um, yeah, it was incredible. And, and I, I said, guys go back and they do it and they make good money and it, mm-hmm. it's worth every. Uh, it, it was worth it, you know. Would, would I bring my daughter down there? Mm-hmm. Probably not. So you played with uh, Gerardo Parra, obviously yeah. became a big leaguer, and Baby Ender Inciarte, yeah. who I think was like seventeen or eighteen at the time. Yeah, he was a peanut when and I first he, met him. And he those first few years, I think you played with him a few years. The numbers weren't really there. I mean, do you see a kid with that much talent though, and you're like? I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. I, you know, I actually vividly remember seeing him the first couple of years because he didn't play at all. And he actually, a lot of times, wasn't even with the big team. He was with what their equivalent of a minor league team was. Ah, okay. And I remember he'd come up and, and you'd watch him play and you saw defensively out, you know, that arm was just right. out of, out of, out of this world. And you could see that. You could see the defensive prowess. Uh, he was a peanut, though. He was a young kid who was skinny and scrawny. And everything he did was bunt, 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 slap. And I was like, you know, I just I hope that someone teaches this kid how to hit because you mm-hmm. can see a lot of ability. But if he continued to hit like that, it wasn't going to play in the big leagues. And now that I watch him, you could because by the time he filled out, it, once he did, it was going to be too late. And yeah. somebody got a hold of him and worked with him, taught him actually how to hit, and he's been able to keep that outstanding ability of bunting and his speed and using it to his you know great advantage you can see in the big leagues, but he's actually hitting the baseball and swinging correctly and using and, his lower half or yep, whatever else. And, yeah. and not just slapping it and running. And that doesn't work anymore. And it's, it's good to see because there was always, you could tell there was something special there. It just was, was it going to progress? Translate. Yeah. So near as I can tell 2011 though, you started at Vegas and then went back to New Hampshire. Is, is yeah, that accurate? A couple times. Okay. So what's shuttling around like that? I mean, so first of all, Vegas is whatever. I'm talking about Vegas, the baseball place, not yeah. the city. But then New Hampshire, I mean, it's year three that you've spent time in AA. Your numbers drop a little bit. Uh, is there any feeling of, like, stagnancy at New Hampshire for you, getting kind of sick of being the mayor of that city like Tommy Watkins was in Fort Myers? Yeah. Or, or are you just, like, slogging through? What's your mental no, – what's your was, time – your mental space like that in, uh, in that, was, that was actually really tough. It was a really bad situation. Uh, after 2010, I actually – I mean, I had a monster time in Venezuela. I think I hit like 360. I think you like a 900 OPS. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. broke a couple funny records. I went 14 for 14 at one point. Um, oh, wow. I started the year 18 for 31. So I just came off a year where I hit 300 in double A all year, stole 50-something bases, go down to Venezuela. So you're in the top of the world. Yeah, I mean, and, and just got put on the 40-man roster with the Blue Jays oh, that yeah, winter. Yeah. Okay. So, I, you know, I'm going to my first big league camp, and I'm just really excited about it. And, and I know I'm going to AAA. I'm going to be the leadoff hitter. I'm going to play center field. This is my chance. And I'm kind of being told you're the first outfielder up. 
mm-hmm. you know, everything's going good. Well, fortunately, get to AAA, don't get off to a great start. Not terrible, but you know, I think I was hitting 260 the first three weeks of the season. But Eric Dames had had a monster big league camp. Oh, a, sure. Almost made the team as a non-roster invite. That almost never happens for young so, guys like that. And then goes to AAA and just, we get to Vegas. And again, we're living together and he does it again. He's just going berserk. And I, you know, you can kind of see that I'm going to, you know, he's going to go before me because Toronto was still very much a power hitting team. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be very. That was like the needed. Justin Smoke, Edwin Encarnacion where they're revitalizing guys' careers. Correct. Yeah. And he fit better. And I saw that, which was fine. But the big blow was that we had signed Scott Pacetnik and Dwayne Wise. I was just about to ask you about yeah. pods. And like a, two weeks into the season. And I couldn't understand what that was about. Um, and they couldn't really explain it to me. And so these guys came up and they literally were taking all our playing time. Um, pods was like 35 at that time. And basically their argument was they needed a, uh, a utility outfielder. And I'm sitting here like, hello, literally I'm, I'm, I can do the same thing. I'm as these on guys. the roster, and I'm on the roster. Yeah. So I'm just not playing. I remember my manager. We're in the shower, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm sorry." He's like, "You know, there's talks about sending you to double." I was like, "Send me, just let's, send let's me just right now." It. I'm like, "I don't. I'm sitting on the bench." And yeah. you know, their argument was, "Well, that's what you're going to do in the big leagues." I'm like, "That's. I, we both know this isn't true. You're. It's. This is an. Just send me to double. Let me play." Yeah. So they sent me down, and I went down to double A, and that was kind of the idea was just to go down there and play every, get just be playing every day, and that was more important to me than mm-hmm. than being in triple A. Just to say I was in triple A, I'd rather have been playing every day. So I mean, how many of these guys with New Hampshire when you went back did you play with? You had uh, Darno, yep. who ends up getting traded in the Cindergard uh, Dickey deal. Yep. Uh, Anthony Goes. Yep. Jan Gomes. Yep. Henderson Alvarez. Yep. Drew Hutchison. Yep. So oh. I mean, all guys who are big leaguers. Um, Jan Gomes, it was before he was traded because it was a flip for, I want to say it was, uh, it was an, it was a decent Esmiel Rogers, yep. <laughs> a decent, uh, big league righty with big stuff, but never really panned out at that point though. Gomes was like an organizational guy. People said like, he didn't have the numbers and they thought, yeah, he probably he won't play. Even. Um, what, what do you remember from any of those guys? I mean, Alvarez had the good sinker. Henderson um, was going to be a big leaguer. There was no question that yeah. he was a big leaguer. He was not very polished, but the stuff was there good enough. He, he threw was like 95 with a big with sink. With a huge he? sink, and yeah. he was going to be a big leaguer. There was no question. He was polished enough, and he was going. Uh, Darno was going to be a big leaguer, no question. He had a great year, too. Great year. He had the fastest hands I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this guy, I mean, he used in BP, he had a hard time keeping the ball in play because Jeez. because his hands were so fast. He would just hit it foul. Like, you could throw it behind him, and he could get to it. I mean, it was just... <laughs> Um, I hate those guys. Oh, he was a beauty. Uh, was Ghost, Ghost kind of nuts? Ghost was a lunatic. And Ghost was my best friend on the team, and I've known him for years. I'm sensing a pattern here of yeah. guys that you're clicking with. I'm that backing were. my chair. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, he, you know, Anthony should have had a much more of a career than he did, and and that's sad to well, say. Well, I, I, think, I think we're understanding why. Do you think he could have pitched in the big leagues? 100%. Anthony could have done any. Anthony could have pitched in the big leagues. He could have played golf on the PGA Tour, and he could have been a quarterback for the New York Giants if you wanted Holy to. Cr- so he was that kind of. Was athlete. he was he like ahead of like the Jordan? Did you ever play with Jordan Schaefer? You would have been missed him. No, I did. I I didn't play with. I, I knew him. I didn't. But I mean, where, like, where was he on the Jordan Schaefer trans transition to pitching? Spectrum. I don't think anybody was ever going to let him do it. He wanted to later, and no one was really going to let him do it because it was too late. And at this You're point, about Schaefer? No, uh, Anthony. Goals. Okay, yeah. Uh, he just had kind of burnt his bridges, and he kind of pissed everyone off because he was had he was nuts. But was he headstrong? I mean, yes, okay. yes, he was very headstrong and, and a great guy. I mean, as I said, me and him, he would do anything for you. He yeah. was a wonderful kid, and and he was awesome, dude. He just was very headstrong. I think that's probably the better word to use for Anthony. And he had just so much ability. Mm-hmm. And he could have done, 
this guy could throw the ball 98 off the mound, and he had lightning fast hands. He was he, lightning fast. He stole 70 bags in 2010 in Double A. Um, defensively, I mean, he he was a goal. You know, he was. You know, I hated defensively. He was right there with Buxton. So with, did he play center and you played in the corner? Or yep. what happened? There? When I went down, yep. He was, so he pushed you. There were only two guys have ever been pushed out of center for. One was Anthony and one was uh, Buxton. And and they were, Byron probably has no a real leg shame, up. No real shame with either of those nah, guys. you can deal with that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, Byron is probably a leg up, a little bit better, much better defensively than Anthony, but Anthony was as is, is close to Byron as I've ever seen. So in Vegas, some guys that were there, Podsednik, uh, were you there when Chad Cordero was there? Yes, I was. Yeah, Bro- I mean the chief. I, I wrote down obviously broken because at that point his career was <laughs> over. But uh, how about Jason Lane? Yep. And then uh, yep. Brett Laurie. Yep, Brett. Okay, so Jason Lane was a two way player at that point, or was mm-hmm. trying to be, and kind of a fun story. What you know? What what is a guy like that? Because he was in his thirties, I think, at that point. I mean, you're in AAA. You're in Las Vegas. I can't think of a more polarizing dichotomy than. The city of lights that never sleeps and, you know, holy crap, I'm in AAA where we make this number of dollars mm-hmm. and we couldn't feel further from the big leagues. I mean, Las Vegas is also far from Toronto, if we're being honest. Yeah. I mean, what keeps a guy like that going? I think Jason wanted to get back to the big leagues desperately. Because he was with the Astros for a long time yep. as a corner outfielder. He ac- yeah, he was. And he actually made it after later after that year yeah. back to the big leagues as a pitcher again. I, um, and actually, I think a twin signed him briefly, yep. too. And, you know, Jason was a good guy. Uh, you know, another guy we had on the team was Chris Woodward, who is now the manager uh, yep. of the Texas Rangers. Yeah, I remember that guy. And Woody was, you know, they were at very different stages. Chris Woodward was retired fully. He went to spring training just to say hi to some people, and they talked him into playing one more year because he didn't have a <laughs> shortstop in AAA. That's he, outstanding. And after literally not training and being fully retired with his four kids, he came back and played and got back to the big leagues. That sounds you. like something Jamie Carroll could do. It, it is. Yeah. And it was, he's very similar kinds of guys. Yeah. And, Jason was um, very, very adamant about getting back to the big leagues to the point where, you know, he kind of took some of it out on the younger guys. Um, you know, he was very, he, he was helpful to me in a lot of aspects, yeah. but um, I think as guys continue to get called up, he got more and more frustrated. Yeah. And, um, but again, a very good guy, um, good mentor early in that year for me um, mm-hmm. and and t- told me a lot of good stories. Actually, I met Roger Clemens through him because wow. Clemens had come there to watch his son play and he played with Roger. Uh, Kobe? Yep. And so it was kind of, you know, it was a lot of great stories, a lot of great things to learn from from Jason. Well, I think people, and, and this is something Cole DeVries told me too, like minor leaguers don't want to play playoff games because it's coming out of their pockets to find somewhere to live for, for all that. But also... You're playing yeah. with you're playing with teammates, but you're also fighting them for jobs, and it's such a weird dynamic that I mean, you're living with Eric Thames. Is it Thames or Thames? Thames. Okay, so it's Thames. You're living with him though, and um, yeah, Brewers fan over there. He's <laughs> giving us the sign here. But you're you're playing with guys you're openly competing with. Is it hard for that not to be hostile? And and in the like with Lane here, like how no. do you, how do you keep that under wraps? Because you're you're men, you're yeah. competitive, testosterone fueled men. Yeah. How does that how does that you know, out. for you know, the, really, that's the good way. We mean, Eric. Well, you know, 2010, we spent so much time together, and we were pretty fine because we were both having really good years, and mm-hmm. we were different types of players. Um, obviously, he was a big power guy, and I was a speed guy, and um, we butted heads for sure. But we both were having good years, and the anim- there was really not much more than rooting for each other because we were both playing well. Yeah. So uh, when it came to the following year, where I was not playing as well, and Eric was 
crushing it. Yeah, it, it did get on my part because now I'm getting frustrated. I'm on the roster. He's not, but he's crushing it. And I'm not. And I know that he he's leapfrogging me and you know, you're coming home with this guy to, every day and, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, you can't really talk to him about it because he's sitting there going like, you know, not happy that I'm struggling by any means, but he's jumping up, up and down because he's raking, which he should be. Right. And I'm frustrated beyond all heck because I'm not playing very well and, and I'm watching my opportunity slip and it does get kind of tricky, especially when you've known a guy for three, four years and mm-hmm. you're so close with him as you're watching, you know, your careers go separate paths. Why is Brett Lowry out of baseball? I think Brett is it is this an Anthony Gold situation? No, I, I you know Brett was a high energy guy. High, this is like obviously. four Red Bulls before the game oh, yeah. intensity. Absolutely. And that's kind of probably what he took before the game to, yeah. because he would just he was you know he was nuts. Could you talk to him? Like could you talk to yeah, him? Yeah. Okay. Extremely intelligent baseball player. Yeah. Um I think when you have that much energy that that much intensity your body just takes a pounding. Um uh, I think that's part of it. Um I think you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't expect him. It's hard to understand why he's completely out of the game unless, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't talked to Brett in 10 years. But he, but he can still play when he stopped playing. Like, that's what's right. always confusing. And it might, you know, sometimes it's just made enough money and body hurts and you just said, I'm done. I mean, and $10 million dollars even is a lot of money in right. average man's. So, I mean, if he made that, I don't know if he did, but just between you and me, yeah. you could make it work with uh, you just go off the grid and you just do your thing. Yeah, and so I, I don't know why he really stopped playing, whether it was personal or yeah. whether it was physical or or he just had it off. Um, I'm not real sure, but, you know, again, he was he was about as high high intensity, high energy as you, you could come around. You made it to the big leagues for one game. Yeah. You said you think you got paid for two days, which— I'm pretty sure I had two or—yeah, I think two. Okay. So what's the situation around it? I mean, you are in, I would assume, Vegas at the time, yep. and you got to get on the plane and go to, you were, you were in Toronto, or they were in Toronto, playing at Rogers Center, Skydome, whatever you want to call it, against Kansas City. What kind of turnaround is there for you once you're told you're going up to you stepping foot in Skydome for the first time? That was kind of a weird, unique deal because uh, they tell me I'm going up for the first time, literally rush to the hotel, middle of the game, take my stuff off, rush to the hotel, grab my stuff, Get on a in the business we call this hug watch. <laughs> uh, although it's usually for trades, but if you see a guy hugging guys in the yep. unless it's Mooney Kawasaki, and we'll talk about him. He's yeah. hugging guys no matter what. If you're hugging guys, you've either been traded or you're going to the big leagues. Yeah, and that's kind of that's true. And that was kind of the deal for me. And I uh, hustled, got in the plane. It was me and another guy, a catcher Brian Jeralman, and we. Oh both yeah, got he, was a, he was a Cardinals prospect for a yep. while. And we hustled. We get there, and my my situation was pretty unique because I. Uh, they weren't sure if I was going to get activated. So you want to talk about... Oh, you were like taxi squad then. Yeah, basically, because okay. they didn't know if they were going to put... Uh, I forget who it was in the DL, what the move was going to be. Yeah. Um, I believe it was I believe it was Colby Rasmus who got dinged up, and they weren't sure if they were going to put him on a DL. Uh, they wound up not putting him on a DL, but as I said before, Kelly Johnson just got traded Yeah, for, we were talking about this off the air, uh, Kelly he Johnson. forgets his passport, so there's an open roster spot because he's not there. You need a they, body. They have to activate him, so... Boom! I it made sense. I was there. I played for Colby, even though Colby was still active. He was just hurt, um, and I make my first start. So I'm sitting in a hotel. I remember I, we got in real early. In Do the you morning. stay in the Renaissance when you play with them? Yep. So Watch, you're in center yep. field then. Yep. Watching, looking over. I remember when I got the phone call. I was asleep, and I didn't know what it meant. They said, uh, "They said we're going to recall you," and I didn't know what that meant. Well, you're thinking I've never been called. How right. could I be recalled? So, and another thing, when they heard when I hear recall, I'm like, "Crap! I'm going back to AAA." They're, ah. they're like, "No, recalled to the major league roster." I was like, "Oh wait." 
So he's like, yeah, congratulations. So you were already in Toronto when you found out you were called up. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, not many guys have that. No, I, I, it, so it was, you know, I'm sitting there like, am I really going to get all the way up here? And, I, and then I got to go back today. Unless and never you're a mariner in Tacoma's right there. I get <laughs> right. the kind of thing. So it was kind of a unique, weird situation. And, um, so you, you know, were you fun. asleep in the Renaissance yeah. hotel when they called you probably yep. from, I mean, who was the GM at that time? Uh, Anthopolis. Anthopolis. So he's calling you from the other side of the building probably. Yep. They sure were. And it was, it was a really <laughs> weird, really weird. Then I just woke up and was like, all right, look, there was like 1250 and I went, walked downstairs and got, went to the stadium. It was a weird, weird, weird way to get called up for the first time. What's it like staying in that hotel? It's gotta be kind of cool. It is really cool. You know, the, one of my favorite parts was when the game was over, I called my parents, talked to them about, you know, the game and everything. And just kind of looking out the window out over the field and watching them clean up the field and fans trickling out and whatever. It, it was a really unique, fun, fun thing to do and kind of look out there and see that stadium from your hotel room. We got to do that on our wedding night. We stayed at Grave 601, which is yep. now Lowe's, which, did you live there as a twin? No, no. You had a place, or did you have a different hotel? Uh, I did, I stayed at, I forget, the Hotel Mini, Minneapolis, Hotel uh, Min- yeah, down yeah. on Nicolette Mall, yeah, my yeah. first year. That's literally st- that's literally across the street from my office right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, I never know where players live, or how, like, how many days you have to be in the big leagues before you're like, oh, I'm going to get an apartment. You know, for me, it was, it was simple. It was, I was, I guess, never confident enough to... To get an apartment. So I, I you, just, you can never put I, wanna, I guess I didn't want to jinx it. I was like, I, you know, and I, yeah, I was like, you know what? And I was, there's ways out of it. I just, I was comfortable staying in the hotel. Yeah. It was just me. I wasn't married. Well, you know, and I Did just, you know Bridget at the time? No, not yet. I didn't meet her until the next year. Uh, 14? 13. 13. Yeah. So 13, So it was I a good year, even though it wasn't, even though it wasn't as good on the field, it was better off the field. Then. Yes. Yes. Okay. We, yeah. So it was, that was fun. But yeah. That it was just staying in a hotel was easy for me. I could walk to the field on nice days, and um, you know I enjoyed walking home after the games. I, yeah. No one really knew who I was. That once I got away from the field, no one really recognized me. So it was just a nice walk at night to go back to the hotel after yeah. playing in the big leagues. It was a pretty cool, pretty not, cool experience. Not many guys get that. I saw Taylor Motter out walking his like big golden doodle yeah. on the plaza at Target Field, off the right field with his girlfriend, I think fiance now. And I'm like, not many guys get to do that. So you probably got to do that yeah, kind of thing where you just chilling but uh so you face luke hoshaver your team wins uh you're at sky dome first at bat you swing at the first pitch you see what why i'm, I'm not, not this is not from a place of judgment this is from a why it just was, tell me why i i honestly couldn't tell you i i remember doing it and i remember swinging what in the world are you thinking and uh it was a fly ball to right field. Did and, you yeah. get much of it? Oh, God, no. It was right down the middle. I mean, there's just no excuse to it. Like, and that was the cardinal rule with the Blue Jays <laughs> was you had to be ready. Because remember, Jose came up with that whole thing. About once he learned how to get ready, never miss a fastball. So there was yeah. never an excuse to miss a fastball. You know, you swing, you swing <laughs> in a curveball in the dirt, miss it by 11 feet. That was okay. But miss, being late in the fastball with a head and a count was unacceptable. And I first pitch that I ever see in the big leagues is exactly what I do. And uh, it did not go over well. And uh, but I, I, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember Paul coming off my back, going, "Oh, this is not good." <laughs> but so it was. It was. Not, I, I still to this day. I, I remember going to the plate saying, "Just take a pitch, just take a pitch." And then you did the opposite. And I did the opposite. Who'd you play for? Uh, was it Gibbons? Uh, no. Um, yes, it was Gibbons. No, yes, it was Gibbons. Okay. Yeah. He's. Uh, he seems like kind of a grouchy old man. He was. He was very grouchy. Um, ironically, as I've seen him. In years later, he was actually really warm and accepting. I remember one year uh, he was holding my daughter on the field when they, when the Blue Jays came into town when yeah. I was here. He, you know, I had Sloan out there, and he came up to me. He's like, hey, Darren, is this your daughter? And picked her up and was holding her. And um, so it was kind of it's amazing how uh, you find out how 
different your relationships are once you stop playing for mm, him and yeah. realize that you know, he actually, I found out later, said a lot of really nice things about me to Guardy when I first got nice. called up to the big leagues and something I would have never expected and something that, you know, I always like to bring up about him because I think it says a lot about him as a, uh, as a person. So they send you back out the next day. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, how, does it feel like the air is taken out of your balloon or are you just kind of like, all right, I'm ready to, uh, you know, I'm ready to go back down for, what, what do you feel? I mean, it was, that was tough. That was tough. I mean, because cause you, you, you don't want to let your hopes get too high when you get called up, but obviously you're at the top of the world too, so. Right, well, and the ironic part was, you know, I got called, I think, August 25th, so we're, we're a week away from uh, roster expansions. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm here, right? Like, I know there's some stuff shuffling. Kelly Johnson's coming back, but... Mm -hmm. The guy that came up with me, the catcher, I we knew had a broke, hurt, really hurt his thumb, and he was lying about it. Uh, and, but but we knew he couldn't play, and Rasmus was hurt, and so even though we knew Kelly was coming back, I still thought they you know they were gonna make a different move. And I remember walking to the field from my hotel room, obviously in the stadium, and the yep. lineup for that night was up, and I was in the lineup, and I remember kind of taking this big sigh of relief, being like, okay, I'm gonna make it till September because they made another move. Yeah, it was like the 23rd or 24th by that point. Yeah. Right? And and I remember thinking, okay, if I'm if I make it through today, I'll make it through. I'll get a full month of experience up here in time because for me to stay, they have to make someone has to either go on a DL or, or get sent so out. Ten or fifteen days at that point, you're you're good. Right, and I knew I was good uh, walking into the clubhouse because I saw my name on the roster with mm -hmm. the new pitcher. It wasn't Ricky. I forget who was pitching, but it wasn't Ricky. Yeah. So I knew that was tonight's lineup, and I walk in, and the second I sit down, they call me in and set me down, and I just was baffled, and I knew right then and there that um, it wasn't probably the best sign, and I probably wasn't coming up in September. Yeah, why didn't you? I, you know, Still they don't ne know. never asked. I just packed my stuff up at the end of the season and uh, knew I was going to Venezuela in October and just wanted to get out of there after a long kind of tough year I would kind of me and my manager saw things very differently in AAA uh, I honestly couldn't even remember to tell you what his name was um, and I was just ready to pack up and mm -hmm. head on home and call it a year after a very long long tough year and you know kind of knew I was going to be put on waivers pretty pretty shortly after ah, once yeah. you know you don't get called up in September on the 40 man you're getting put on waivers pretty shortly after so um Ironically, it took them all the way to the beginning of February to do it. I thought for sure I was getting a call any day now. So you were home from Venezuela by the time that happened? I was one day away from driving to spring training in Dunedin. I was packing up the car. Wow. It was early February, and I got the phone call. And I was just like, at that point, I thought I they, they were going to hold on to me. Um, we had talked about me converting back to second base a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, because they said, and, and why I thought I was going to make it through was they talked to me and it's actually sent me down to work on playing second base again. Mm -hmm. They said, you know, we have an opening at second base and not a real clear path in the outfield. And I'm like, well, they're going to convert me back this spring. And uh, I made it. And I was getting ready to go down early. And they called me and said I was put on waivers. And so when the Twins claim you, I and mean, they sent you to Rochester first, right? Uh, no, they sent me to uh, New Britain. That's right. That's right. First. Yep. Um, but when they claim you and you're like, well, oh, Minnesota, I mean, maybe you're not thinking about Minnesota, the state and all that, but I mean, are you thinking if I make the big leagues at Minnesota, I don't know anything about Minnesota or what are you thinking? You know, ironically, and I'm not proud of this, but I'll tell you is I, I didn't know until I stepped foot in the big leagues with Minnesota twins, what the C stood for in TC. I had ah. no idea. I was like, what is, I just, what does the C stand for? It didn't make any sense. Like, they're the twins. Uh, so that's, uh, that was kind of a tough question to have to ask somebody once you're in the big leagues for the twins. Right. But um, you I, asked Dustin Morris, or who'd you ask? I don't. Remember. I was a player. I think it was. Uh, I, I believe it was Denard Span, because oh, I man. was. I felt comfortable enough 
asking Denard because I knew him well enough to be like, dude, what the heck does this plus, stand plus for? if Denard says, you know what this kid just asked me, people are like, Denard's weird, man. <laughs> Denard's making that up. He's messing yeah, with they, me. I could I could just it was his word against mine. Yeah, yeah. And he's a big league vet that they would be like, Yeah, he's a yeah, space case. He's just he's just, he's just make, trying to mess with the young kid. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you could totally do that. So New Britain, Rochester. With Rochester, though, you play with some guys Twins fans have really grown to know. Uh, Dozier, Escobar, also Parmalee and Revere, some of the bigger prospects. Also, current manager Brian Dinkelman. I, I can't remember which level he's at. I want to say it's double. I can't remember. I think maybe I think in low A. Low A, maybe. Yeah. And then, or a high A now because I think it's Toby Gardenhire in low A. Gotcha. But then. Also, Sean Burroughs and J.R. Tolls. Were they both God, there? I forgot about Sean. Yes, yes. Sean, Sean Burroughs was homeless for a brief stretch. Oh, Sean Burroughs was one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. But, I forgot so you, about him. But those two guys, you, you played with a lot of failed prospects or guys yep. who did not become who they were supposed to be. Your Travis Snyders, you whoever. Mm-hmm. What are those guys like in the minor leagues when they're in their late 20s? Well, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of bitterness, you know, at this point. Especially cause, Burroughs, because he was supposed to be, like, the next Tony Gwynn. Yeah, and uh, he was actually the one exception. Sean was positive all the time, smile on his face. You know, Sean, Sean had some issues off the field that he was able to overcome. So I think he was such a positive and just happy that his life was on track and, and just so excited. He's one of those guys just happy to be alive. He's the one that wakes up in the morning and the sun's always shining. And he was just such I a I want to be great, that guy. I do too. I wish I could. I mean, he he's he just brought so much positivity day in and day out. He was a, such a pleasure to be around. And, and he was one of the rare exceptions of, you know, really just being an older guy who really had a shot, missed it, trying to get back. You know what's not really going to happen, but mm-hmm. – um, Making the best of the situation and just bringing a lot of bringing a lot of fun, a lot of happiness to the field every day. Was tolls different then, or you know, I don't remember Jarrett that well. Most of the, that that probably uh, says a lot about like he just wasn't maybe a big personality. Well, on and I, he wasn't. He was quiet. And again, I was only in Rochester for a couple weeks. Uh, you know, at that time with those guys, and I never really played with them again. Yeah. I don't think. Um, but there were other guys. You know, Travis. Travis was another one who I actually think softened up as as he went through it. Humbled was hu- more humbled mm-hmm. as he was trying to do it. Um, you know, when we were younger, Travis always always had an unbelievable work ethic, and that guy played the. You know, I remember he was down in Double A rehabbing, and the guys diving for balls and BP and slide and just just took so much pride in so many aspects of the game. Yeah. Um, and as he got older, he kind of softened with some of the hard exterior, but another really good guy. Um, yep. And But, yeah, there's bitterness. I, mean, I went through it, too. I was bitter, you know, after I, you know, later in my career when I'm trying to get back. And, you know, you feel you, you have, it's hard to get that shot. And when you get it and you kind of miss it or and you're trying to get back, it's really hard. And there is, I wouldn't say bitterness, maybe frustration, maybe pressing a little bit more than normal to, you know, to get back. But I feel like that switch had to flip kind of fast for you because you play you play seventy almost eighty games with the Twins in twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Really nice, a bit mostly in the second half. I recall you know playing a lot with, um, you know, opportunity in center field. You know, Revere and I think Span was still there at mm-hmm. that time, and so you're getting chances you know wherever. But what what was that? You know, your first extended, and and what wound up wound up being maybe your your only extended time in the big leagues. You know, what do you remember from that stretch? I mean, you were stealing bases. You are playing good defense. You are playing for Gardy. Yeah. Uh, a who's who's a, a, a great guy to talk baseball with. Are, are you playing with the mindset that this could all be gone in a moment? Yeah. Are you playing where every day you get a little bit more comfortable? What is your mindset and what's that like? What was that stretch like? For a long time, it was, you know, any day I could be sent back down. I always, you know, I felt expendable for a long time there. Um, 
And I was very fortunate to have Guardi as manager. I was fortunate to have Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau and Jamie mm-hmm. Carroll, uh, Denard Span in, in that clubhouse. They taught me so many things um, about being a role player, about being a, you know, not, not playing every day and what it takes to keep yourself ready. And, you know, to accept the fact that it's not about what your numbers are. It's about what, um, you know, getting a chance to help the team. And, mm-hmm. and I think the big boost for me was I got off to a really tough start. I think I started like three for 20. And I'm like, there's no way I'm sticking around here. You know, we had Eric Kamatsu at the time. And, and we had to Como make, beats. Yep. And we had to make a move. We had to make a move. And it was me, one of the two of us. And he was actually putting up better numbers. You know, I felt like I was doing more to help the team when we we played. Yep. Like I was, he would, you know, I was doing better defensively on the bases, you know, um, but if you just looked at the numbers, he looked like he was going to stay and they sent him down and it was actually a pretty significant move. It was, would have been very easy to send me down. I was just, I had options. He had to get designated. He had to, he had to go back to Washington. So that's why I thought for sure I was going to go. He was a rule five guy that year. Yeah. And when they sent him back and kept me, that was the first time I remember coming in that morning in my street clothes and just sitting there waiting. I don't want to get changed twice. And when they called him in, immediately Joe Vavra, who was the hitting coach, came yep. out and said, let's go to the cage. And I was getting changed because once they called him in, I knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, let's go to the cage. And he took me in. He sat me down. He basically was like, you made it. He's like, you're part of this team. He's like, you, I know you think that you're, you're frustrated. You're, you're not merged. He's like, don't worry. You're doing a lot of really good things. And we noticed that. And that's why mm-hmm. we kept you. And that was the first time I felt kind of relieved. Now, again, give it a month when you struggle a couple times or yeah. don't get a bunt down or make a mistake in the outfield. You you think you're going back down. But um, I had great teammates that year, really, really great teammates. Guardy, great coaching staff who really made me feel like part of that team as much as you could and a guy in that situation would feel like a part of a team because it was hard. You don't play every day. and. And you just don't know. You feel expendable. Unfortunately for me, like I, that year, I just wasn't expendable, and I was doing well enough to hold on to my role. So what was it like, though, being on a team where you knew they had prospects behind you? Because as much as you can't think about the guys in the minors, you've got Revere, who's up. You've got Hicks and Bucks. I mean, Buxton actually was ways off at that point, or uh, maybe had just been drafted. But outfield depth was in the system, it just maybe just wasn't imminent. Yeah. Do you let yourself think about that, or are you just, hey, you know, i got to take care of what I can? It actually didn't matter to me because these guys were such big prospects, they weren't going to take my job away from me. You um, were going to be the fourth guy no matter yeah, what. Yeah, Aaron Hicks comes up. He wasn't going to be a fourth outfielder. It right. was going to be a trade or something with one of these guys, which we saw they traded both Denard and Ben to make room for Aaron mm-hmm. that w- winner. Um, so I wasn't ever really worried about them. I was actually excited about them because I felt like I could – help transfer them into the big leagues like some of these guys did to me and give them some just kind of give them a helping hand um a year two years later if i could stick around and be the jamie carroll type person to them that jamie was and justin and joe and josh were to me um obviously it didn't quite happen that way but it you one thing i learned real quick is if you're looking over your shoulder all the time you're forgetting what you you need to do and you know there's different types of players in the minor leagues who get more excited they get excited when a, their competition fails, but that doesn't make you and get you any closer to the right. big league. So, if I'm worried about what Aaron Hicks and these guys are doing below me, mm-hmm. and I'm not, it doesn't matter as long as I'm doing my job. I was good, you know. You can't worry about them, and, and that's kind of how I looked at it. I was worried about the Minnesota Twins and not what was going down on AAA because that really wasn't, you know, my concern at the time. So, what happened between the end of 2012 and the beginning of 2013? And you dealt with a foot, um, and I had I had heard that. Now, you, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there were some questions if you had gotten too strong or, like, too bulky. 
So, so please, I mean, set the record straight. I mean, yeah. this is what I heard, I was, and I, I never report. I would never report anything like that. But was was there some like discussions of if you had lifted much, too much or anything? Yeah. So, ironically, 2012, I broke my finger at the end of 2012 in okay. September. Mm-hmm. Uh, broke my hand sliding into home plate. Um, didn't couldn't lift. Went to Venezuela and played all the way through. Yeah, December, I saw that. Evan Gaddis, Freddie Galvis, yep. some big leaguers there. Um, so I couldn't have gotten too big. Now I did come into camp big. Um, I always I worked really really hard coming into spring training that mm-hmm. year, and I was bigger. But I think what no one noticed was no one noticed me in the years before. I always came into camp that size. Yeah, I always came into camp probably eight nine pounds heavier than when I left the year before because I lost so much weight in spring training. Um, that's what made me feel good because of the heat. Yeah, just from and being running. down there, running, being back on your feet all day, I lost, lose a lot of water weight, and it mm-hmm. just—it's how I felt comfortable. And I, you know, I actually had a—I tweaked my hamstring in Venezuela, and that's mm. how I wound up tweaking it again during spring training. Oh, is that what? Okay, I, I thought you had broken foot. Did you end up? With I the, did, I did, and that's it. All cut, yeah. And we wound up breaking my feet, so I, I okay. tweaked my hammy, missed a couple of days, and it really got blown out of proportion. They were just being kind of cautious with me. Um, sure. But yeah, I was definitely bigger, probably you know bigger than people would normally expect me to be, but not bigger than I. It wasn't I'm like used you'd been to. on the radar before as much, though, and it's just exactly you just didn't never never took pictures of me. They never really recorded my weight the way they did that year because yep. that year everyone knew I was going to make this team out of spring training, so I was a big leaguer at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I was just getting more attention. Um, unfortunately, I was pro- I was playing later in that game than I should have when I broke my ankle because I was making up at at best for missing time with a tweaked hammy. Yeah. And that was unfortunate. Um, fouled the ball off my shin, broke my leg, and and tried to play through it for a while, but wound up having to get surgery early in the season and so, cost me the year. How hard was it for you to watch Aaron Hicks play poorly? Uh, Cleet Thomas basically playing way more than a player of that caliber has any business yeah. to. How difficult was that to watch from the sidelines knowing that should have been you? It was hard. Yeah, it was it was really hard just because, you know, I felt like I had worked so hard in 2012 to earn this chance. You know, I'm living a dream of making making a team out of spring training, which is such a dream. You know, something yeah, oh, yeah. not a lot of guys get to say they did. Um, and knowing that I was going to get my chance to kind of solidify myself as a big leaguer, mm-hmm. I was going to get a lot more at bats that year. Um, and then to, to hurt the foot and realize, okay, I'm not going to get him right away, but I'll be back. And then to find out later that I can't come back, I broke my ankle. And by the time I get back, we trade for Alex Presley, and you realize your chances. The more no deal. The more no deal. I was actually with Justin when the deal happened, and and he found out. And I just remember hearing the name going, oh, boy, because I knew what that meant for me. Well, um, he played okay for the first few games and, and solidified right. himself as getting a chance. Right. But. And I knew that at that point, my chance, and I, at that point, and I wasn't ready to play. I mean, I wasn't running as well as I normally would, and I was still in a lot of pain. I was yep. dealing with some other. I actually had to get surgery again at the end of the year because— I got back a little too quick, and the bone in my foot was moving and caused uh, some other problems. I think I remember you telling me that early the next year. Yeah, so it, it, it was tough. It was a really tough trying year for me because it, there was this opportunity. That, you know, you hope you're going to get again, but you kind of know that was your chance. You know, I, I did everything I could in 12 to earn it. The Twins were, you know, so great to offer me and give me the chance to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't blame them. They made the right move by moving on and trying to—they had to figure something out. Uh, because they didn't know what I was going to come back like. Um, but it was just tough. It was a tough situation to watch something like that pass by you. So 2014 starts, you know, it's a little bumpy, and then you're reclaimed, mm-hmm. not recalled. <laughs> <laughs> reclaimed, yep. Re- uh, the Blue Jays bring you back. Yeah. And at this point, you know, you're not that mid-20s guy anymore. You're kind of been around for a while. 
What are you thinking though? I mean, Toronto again, and, and, and the logistics too of playing in Canada, Minnesota, or United States back yeah. and forth. I mean, what are you thinking when they claim you? I mean, are you just like, Hey, another chance or? Well, yeah, it was bizarre. Um, you know, we were in Kansas city when Gardy called me in and told me that, uh, you know, Gardy and Rob Andy told me I was getting put back on waivers. So you weren't designated. Were you designated? I was designated. Yeah. And I remember my initial reaction was I kind of wanted to clear waivers. I was kind of hoping that go to Rochester, get go to Rochester. Right. Cause I knew I was going to come back up here. Uh, me and Gardy is such a good relationship. I knew the reason I was going down was cause we just, we just signed, traded for Sam Fold, I believe it was. Yeah, Tommy Malone um, uh, ended up being yep. later on. But, yeah, they got Fold for nothing, anyway, basically. Yeah, and he got him off waivers, I think. We got yeah. him off. And I remember as soon as I saw Sam Fold's name claimed by the Twins, I was like, oh, or not even claimed, that he was on waivers. I'm like, oh, boy. Like, He's a pretty I, good player. Pretty good player. We knew we needed a left-handed hitting outfielder to help with Aaron because Aaron really struggled from the left side. Right. Um, so I knew what was coming. Um, but I wanted to come back. I wanted to – I loved this organization, mm-hmm. and I wanted to stay um, – Obviously, when I found out I got claimed by the Blue Jays, who had the first pick in the in the Rule Five at the time, I was excited because there was a big gaping opening for me to to get back to yeah, the big before leagues. Kevin Pillar and all that, right? Correct, and and they there was just a big opening because they they had told me they wanted me to platoon with Colby Rasmus. They were going to send me to AAA for a couple weeks, get some at bats because I hadn't been playing much, um, and so I was excited about that. Was that still Vegas? Or was it Syracuse at the time? That, that now we were at Buffalo. Buffalo, that's right. Um, so I was excited about it. And then obviously things really went sideways there, um, with the blue Jays as they have a tendency to do, um, (laughs) moves. A lot of times they say that, you know, one thing I can always say about the twins, they were always extremely honest, whether you liked it or not with Terry Ryan, you got the truth. And that was something that I can say wasn't the case with a lot of other GMs that I've experienced. And, and that is that, would you say that's a character flaw or just guys don't want to do that? I mean, I think it's a both. Yeah. I, I think there's no harm in telling a player the truth. Um, well, I there's really lots don't. of hard truths in baseball. It's there's a game a lot, of failure, yep. and it's. I think it's a lot of times it's easier for them for some GMs not to even not to open their mouths and let you find out through the, through let the manager tell you. Um, and one thing I can say about the Twins, they were not like that. They were very honest, and and whether you liked it or not, and it, it made it a lot easier to play for, and something I respected so much about. So, I mean, got into 14 games with them, but you know, it wasn't a real. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but it wasn't much of a factor. No, it was it was a bad situation. I, I got up there. I actually my first game hit a homer off Chris Sale, so everything was oh. everything was cruising. No, nothing can go up from there, no, no matter what happens. Everything was looking up, um, and they made it very clear that I was going to be uh, kind of you know come off the bench, not really even play defense, just pinch run. You're there for whatever they need, and right. only that. And that was fine, and I understood that, and I was accepting that role and ready to go. Like it's the big leagues, you just—that's perfect. When lefty, when a lefty in the big pitch, leagues is better than anything else. Absolutely. And you know, they told me left-handed pitcher. You know, you'll you'll be out there somewhere. So, uh, kind of roll with that for a while. Yep. And then all of a sudden, one day, I got a. They called me in. I thought we're in L.A., and I'm like, well, I'm getting sent down. I'm going to see the manager, and I'm told that I'm going to be me and Colby Rasmus are doing a full-time platoon. And I was like, holy crap, this is an upgrade to where I was. Yeah. Like, I'm half of a big league everyday player right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember getting on my phone and looking up the next starters, and we had C.J. Wilson that day. So ah. I'm like, okay, great. And then we didn't face a lefty for like th- two and a half weeks. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so I actually went out, had a good game against C.J. Wilson, swung the bat pretty well. And um, God, it was just, yeah, it was just, yeah, I think it was C.J. And either way. And you know, kind of times going by and, you know, sparing at bat here, sparing at bat there. It's kind of hard to ever really get Especially if it's against going. late inning relievers who are lefties or something. Yeah, like and I would get a lot of like, okay, side armor's coming in, go bunt. 
things like that. And they didn't, you know, the Blue Jays were not a big stolen base team. They yeah. were not a big, you know, play for the doubles. They so play I, on a fast surface, but they don't run right. the bases. They like don't that. want. They didn't want to take Enwood Arcanacion on that game no. for me to pinch run no. because they'd rather him stay there and go and wait three innings for him to hit a homer. That's so, the anti-guardy too because he'd put in guys to run. Yes. And then that spot would come back up, and it'd be like, oh, yes, that that was I was Sometimes I was, was a bad thing. I was on the receiving end of a lot of those us because I I used to run for Josh a lot. Ah, uh, so he, and it would happen. I would say it probably happened four or five times where all of a sudden you mean we, you're not going to drive the ball into the third deck and left? No, field? I could try as hard as I wanted, but sure. it just it would, it would BP maybe, but yeah. the games didn't quite. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and so it just wasn't a great. It wound up not being as good of a fit as I thought maybe it was when it first happened. So you saw him at the Phillies that off season very early. Yeah, like. Very, very like, early. Like October 22, which would be like, um, maybe the World Series isn't even done yet. I don't think it was. No, I why, why Why so fast and why the Phillies? Uh, honestly, the Phillies came very hard, very early um, to sign me. You know, I felt good about it because um, I played the Phillies all the time in the minor leagues. From Lehigh Valley and all Le- those All places. the way down. Every, you know, the Twins, the Yankees. International League and the Eastern yeah, League. Yeah, the Twins, the Blue Jays, the Phillies. They, you just play them all the time. All these yeah, you kind of competed that circuit, and even Yankees were even, in there, uh, even with the Nationals yep, too. Yep, and so I thought, you know, in my mind, it, it was this team knows me really well. They're pressing really hard. The actually, the time the GM was Ruben Amaro, who ah. who was actually the owner of the team I played in Venezuela for for three years. Coming to find out, he didn't even know that I played down there, which was confusing. That's hilarious. And part of my decision was like, well, they really know me well through all these years. They're coming hard. They're coming fast early. Mm-hmm. This is a good sign. Um, what I didn't realize was they do that with about 15 different players. Um, and they're kind of known for, at the time, the, Ruben was very known for trying to get as many players as possible quantity, early. Quantity over quality. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say not, not quality, quality, but, but yes. similar, similar quality. And I just remember guys. kind of watching the wire and real, watching Philly sign this guy, Philly sign this guy, Philly's claim this guy, Philly's Philly. And I'm like, wow, this is going to make spring training pretty aggressive and it did there was just too many guys and yeah. and you saw a lot of guys get released i actually you know fortunately went to triple a i didn't lose my job mm-hmm. completely but um it was just it's you know going to the national leagues seemed like a really good fit for me as well the way i played um and again when i signed they didn't really have you know ben was there which i thought was yeah. a good fit because you know at the time he was kind of slowing down where i thought mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of talk where he wasn't quite the superstar he was three years earlier. No, he was going to be a fourth outfielder kind of guy. And I thought there was a chance that, you know, may possibly platoon action. So it, it just didn't quite go uh, the way I thought. But it, it's it was nice. to You know, it was also my first minor league free agency. So I was kind of enamored by a team coming at me hard early. Yeah, yeah. Back to Buffalo for a second. You played with Muni Kawasaki, <laughs> and we have to talk about him. I mean, I think you played with Pilar, Stroman, Sanchez, or at least those guys were All there. Of, yep. Phenoms, most of the year. Phenoms. But... Muni Kawasaki, you said he's maybe the best teammate you ever had. Yeah. What we saw on TV was this just screwball guy who just loved to have fun. What what was he like behind the scenes? The same guy. Yeah. But same guy with with you know, he just he worked so hard. So all that energy you saw is a screwball and mm-hmm. having fun. Yeah, he brought that every day, but he also he wasn't messing around. He worked so hard. He was just the best teammate. I mean, this is a guy that Superstar over in Japan. He's in AAA. Honestly, for the most of the year, he was our first base coach. He didn't even play that much. <laughs> and you, the, he was just so positive, so excited for every. I remember one time I hit a double, and I remember getting to second base, turning around to take my shin guard off, and he was three feet behind me. The ball was still in play. 
to the point where the umpire is like, Darren, you got to tell Mooney to wait for the play to be over to come get your shin guard. He was just <laughs> so excited that I hit a double that he's following me around the bases. That's awesome. Um, just the best teammate, just great energy, great, like just amazing. And, and so happy to hear that, you know, it's watch him in the world series with the Cubs and some of the success he's had. And, um, Really a very good baseball player. He really was. I know not everyone saw it as yeah. well as he, they should have here, but just just such a wonderful human being and just such a blessing to anyone who's got a chance to be around him. So the Nationals purchased you yeah. uh, in May of 2015, and you played at Syracuse for basically the bulk of the season. What does it mean to a player when they're – purchased or what, what I mean does that tell you just like hey you know they traded you for cash or what is it yeah that's what it meant uh basically the Phillies threw out there that I was on I was available for trade does anybody want to do it just for you know whatever. they just want they basically it was the move before releasing me but it, but also what, to give you a chance to land on your feet right you know it, it's it's a nice move by the nice move by the Phillies for a player because it gives you a chance for a team to say okay you know we want them we'll take them and, and it's better than getting released and have to go free agent right yeah. and then have to wait um, it was a nice gesture by the Phillies, and I was fortunate to go over to Washington, which was uh, a fun experience. It's very different than I've ever had before yeah. that year, but a, but a fun and, and, a, and a very nice gesture by the Phillies to kind of give me a chance to to switch teams for, uh, from a situation where I wasn't really playing much. At this point, too, you, you've been with P.J. Walters for, like, many seasons. We just kept cropping up with each other. It was unbelievable. I put Stalker in my show notes. Like, you had to feel like one of you was following the other. I, I remember when they told me that we just signed a pitcher named P.J. I go, P.J. Walters, the guy goes, the oh, yeah, yeah. Pitcher goes, he goes, oh, yeah. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, we just continued to play together. you guys were with the Twins together, too, right? And twins. Then, uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, we were with the Blue Jays prior to the Twins as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, in New Hampshire, I believe, or, or Vegas. But, yeah, we just kind of kept playing together everywhere. And we still keep, he's one of the few guys I still keep in touch with today. So you, Trey Turner was around. I don't know if you played with him. But I did. That was a great experience. Crazy, st- talented guy. What kind of guy is he? Great kid. I yep. mean, at the time we got him, you know, he just come over. They sent him right up. He was a young. After the Padres trade. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this young little kid who was built like a toothpick and could never, I've never seen anyone get out of the box and run from the right side like him, including Byron, as much as wow. I love Byron. This kid was, I remember watching him and he had absolutely no idea how to steal bases. Um, he could just flat out outrun anything. And we worked on it quite a bit. And just to, how quickly he picked up simple things that um, are not easy to pick up when it comes mm-hmm. to getting out of the getting out of the gate and stealing and your first step and things you could to read and pick up on it was just so easy for him he was so intelligent um there was just no question what what this kid was going to turn out to be you know whether he was going to be at shortstop or in center field or whatever mm-hmm. crazy stuff the nationals wanted right. to do with him um you know it was clear they just wanted this kid in the big leagues and that's what we kept trying to reiterate to him was he was getting frustrated because he wanted to be a shortstop i said son i'm like they are doing everything they can to get you in a big league. They're putting you all over positions. Like, just, you'll Go get your it. chance to be the shortstop. Just enjoy this. And uh, you now you see, yeah. with a little bit of time and patience, the kid, he's a superstar. Uh, so you signed with the Twins again that offseason. Uh, was that just kind of a wanting to be near family? What, what? I just wanted to go, you know, I had some bad experience the year it was before. an organization you had comfort with? I really wanted to go somewhere I was comfortable. Um, obviously, the Twins were, I was extremely, Terry was still there. Yep. And um, it was just kind of, it was, I really was either there or bust for me. I really didn't want to play anywhere else. Um, and I was fortunate enough the Twins signed me again, and mm-hmm. I went, and it was just a great, great year again. Even a lot of ups and downs, a lot of craziness, but um, it, it's where I wanted to be. Well, so once they let you go in August, you signed with the Rangers and hung around for a little while. 
at that point though, was it kind of the writing on the wall that you were ready to move on or yeah. what, what, what did you consider signing with anyone that winter at all before you retired? Yeah. Yes. And no, um, you know, I actually was going to stop after the twins released me. I was going to just go yeah. home. Agent called me, my hitting coach, my old hitting coach I had for years is the hitting coach in the Rangers and they want to sign me, um, go to, which, you know, went to double A, which I didn't really want to go to double A, but it wound up being one of the most fun months of my life. I got to work with like young kids and teach them some things that became second nature to me, but they didn't, you know, base running stuff that they had never seen before. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, tagging up on fly balls and they just didn't understand some of these concepts and it was fun watching them try it out there. Um, but yeah, the writing was on the wall. Um, there was, you know, we had a couple of minor offers that year and at that point, my body was really starting to bark. Uh, I had my my daughter who was just turned one. Yeah. Um, and I, we had done so much moving around the last two years that I just kind of ready to put down roots. Yeah, and just not so much drag. I wasn't gonna not leave my family at home, and I didn't want to drag them all over the country mm -hmm. again. And um, so it just it, it just felt it felt right, and yeah. I wasn't gonna fight against with something that felt correct. Well, we wrap every podcast with a lightning round with our special guests. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Ready to throw down? Spell Zepchinski without looking. R Z E P Z Y N S K I. You forgot the C. <sighs> Who's the best teammate you ever had? I think you kind of touched on this. Okay, oh, so uh, non Mooney division. Who non Mooney. Uh, only one, or can I say a couple? Yeah, whatever. That's fine. Uh, Joe Maurer, Jamie, Jamie Carroll, Justin Morneau. Um, and those, yeah, those are the three. So Joe Maurer, though, is man, myth. Everything is pretty lined up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I have so many stories. We'd be here all night of how good of a guy he is. <laughs> Without baseball in your life ever, what would you be doing right now? Oh, boy. Uh, would you be married? I bet you I would be married, yeah. But it would be probably wouldn't be to Bridget. No, no I would never be, never would have made it out to Minnesota. But I honestly don't totally, know. Totally. I really don't know. I mean, I, I know I was I was had a business degree as I was finished up in college, but there was no real I didn't want to be a doctor or a Would you lawyer. be a lumberjack? I mean you're a lumberjack, you have the beard, you're a woodworker. I mean I think I think that I kinda of turned into that being in Minnesota a little yeah. bit. I think I think that enamored me a little bit more of a than my New York days. What's the best thing about living in Minnesota? Oh God, the summers, the the weather. I got to say, yeah, the yeah. weather. The, the the four full seasons is is absolutely something you don't get everywhere, and Contrast. it's just amazing. What's the best minor league city you ever lived in? Uh, Frisco. Who's the craziest or most nuts teammate you ever had? <laughs> Eric Thames. Really? Okay. Eric Thames. Yeah. If you had any walk up music today, what would it be? It would be. Oh boy, I would probably stick with Darius Rucker Wagon Wheel. That's what I finished my career with. And what was it and your first time around with the Twins? I, I can't remember. God, I don't even remember. Me I thought it was like wife, Imagine Dragons or something. That was one year. Radioactive. Radioactive. I had one I year that, in yeah. 2013 towards the end yeah. when I came back. I, see, that, I have a, I have a doc that I share with Dustin Morse, and you know what? We, we use them. I actually it was that bo some bob song was my first walkout song ever. I love, I love bob. So yeah, and that was my first one. Was it uh, so good or something? Yes. Like, yeah. That, that is what it was. That's a great song. Yes. Uh, what position other than outfield would you have most liked to play regularly? We had a lot of people tweet questions that we don't have time for uh, that they asked if you could have been a second baseman and you think you could have made that change. But if you could have picked any position, what would it have been? Second base. Okay. I loved it. It, was, it wasn't it was as stressful as short, but it was as fun as shortstop. Who's the toughest big league pitcher you face? Chris Hill. Chris Hill? Chris Hill. Not even going to. <laughs> yeah, I took, I understand. I always said I took him deep once, he, but what I failed to mention was he also struck me out like 12 times. What's the worst big uh, minor league city you, you lived in? Uh, Dunedin. What is the worst? Uh, oh, shoot. What did I? 
<laughs> What's the worst thing about living in Minnesota was the one I was going to wrap with? Some, uh, light, some lightning round. Negative 37. That's, uh, uh, you just can't do anything. Oh, well, we were commiserating over that. And um, I, I totally feel you. I, I, we're about the same age. And I've lived in Minnesota my whole life. And I don't remember being this cold. Justin, I don't know if you remember being this cold while you've been in Minnesota. But absolutely frigid. But hey, thank you for digging yourself out here. I was a little worried you might not want to take the roads. It took over an hour to get into town today. Um, but glad you made it. Thank you so much for for hanging out with us on Midwest Swing, and hopefully we can have you on again real soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, no problem. And so for producer Justin, for the invisible ghost of Tom Schreier across the table, and for former Twins outfielder Darren Mastriani, this is Brandon Warren signing off, saying thank you so much for checking out Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.